Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Grand Rising Wake Up Squad, thanks for starting your Wednesday hump day with us. Later, metaphysician and master herbalist Dr. B returns to our classroom. Dr. B will explain the significance of Thursday's winter solstice. Dr. B will also talk about the light on the shortest day of the year, telomeres, and the connection to the Christmas. Before Dr. B, the co-founder of the Young Lords, Felipe Luciano, will preview his book, Flesh and Spirit, Confessions of a Young Lord. But to get us started this morning, Sister Ama is here. Hotep, Sister Arma, good morning. Good morning, good morning. How are you? Excellent. And let me just, Sister Arma hasn't been here in a minute, so let me just tell folks who, who she is. Sister Arma is a licensed mental health counselor and a trained African priestess in the Akan tradition, Ghana, West Africa. Sister Arma brings her expertise in African spiritual practices and more than 20 years of experience in study, training, and research in the traditional healers in West Africa, Southern Africa, and Central America to her work with community healing collectives, rites of passage organizations, and student groups. In addition to holding a, a dual, dual master's degrees in Africana women's studies and clinical rehabilitation clinical mental health. Sister Ama is also certified in several holistic healing modalities and frameworks, including certified holistic health consultant, also an acupuncture detoxification, uh, detoxification specialist, sacred women practitioner, comedic yoga, and womb yoga dance practitioner. Again, thank you for joining us again, because I understand that you have an event taking place uh, today, actually, Wednesday, right? <laughs> yes, 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 it is today. Yes, it's, um, it's a part of the IKG series, um, the Wisdom Wisdom series that's um, put together by Baba Karak, um, Tony Browder. So, yes, I'll be doing a, a workshop, or more so um, a discussion, I have to say just a discussion um, today, this evening, um, talking about the importance of the divine, um, focusing on what I'm what I'm changing the narrative for us is um, we hear the notion of mitochondrial Eve, but it's really looking at the concept of the mitochondrial moot, which is one of the oldest forms of mother, and um, the importance of um, our, our ancestral legacy as African people, and also to give a global perspective, I say, and the importance of the universal African womb. And I say that because we often say what is the state of the black world? What is the state of the race? And I want to for us to broaden it and say, what is the state of the womb, of the African womb that we exist in, that we live in, um, that we nurture and sustain us, and its relevance in healing us as a people? So it's also a concept I'm looking at, um, I'm doing comparisons in terms of illustration, symbolism, and comparisons from the spiritual to the physical to making it um, in a practical way. All right. As a metaphysician, you're going to have to break it down for us so family can understand, because many of the people listening are probably hearing some of these terms for the first time. So Mm -hmm. let's take it step by step. The mitochondrial 
mutant. Explain that. So, um, so for mitochondrial DNA, um, and I have to do with this claim on my background is in, is in mental health and deep talking about biology in terms of how the body functions. But the mitochondrial DNA is, is that which we can trace our lineage and actually humanity to its origins. We say, who are the first people? And it is traced through the bloodline of the mothers, of the women. It is one of the most forms of this particular DNA is unchanged. They say that it's about maybe one, maybe 2% change over two, over 200 or 300 or million years in terms of our existence. And it is that what they determined is the first mother. So um, there was some research that was done in the 80s by some um, European uh, scientists, geneticists. They wanted to find out who the origin, the first people were. They were hoping that it was European, and they didn't find that <laughs> in the test. And so it traces its origin back to the African woman or African women and men. So um, that's what we're talking about in terms of mitochondrial DNA. All right, family, if you're just joining us, Sister Harmon is a guest. And, she's, and it's really important that you listen to what she's saying, especially with those young brothers. You know, Sister Harmon, we can hear reports of young brothers just putting down our sisters, and they don't understand the significance of, black, of the black woman. And this is what this uh, Zoom is going to be about. So hopefully they're listening, and hopefully they'll they'll attend, because I think that will change their view of the black women. Can you explain, though, the universal African womb to the and how it connects the uh, restoration and, and the healing of all African people? So when I talk about the, the universal African womb, we exist as humans, as life form in this, as what people call the universe. And many of our historians and scientists have come to determine that the element the makeup of the universe is like a womb. It's a, a duality of male and female, but it's that which we exist in. In um, one of the most ancient forms of that is out of Kemet or Egypt um, and showing the goddess Newt and Geb and the constellation. It's in the walls in Kemet to say that we exist in a a larger universe that we are all born into something. And so with that, we have these various energies or aspects of creation that represent and symbolize birth and our existence. We are all humans, be it animals, um, or us, we are born from a vessel, a container that nourishes and sustains us and protects us, which is the womb. And so when we're looking at the universe, so I'm talking about the global, the cosmic, that which we see as intangible, down to our physical reality that we're born in. And also to say, and many scholars and people are saying this, understanding that the universe goes in cycles. So we're coming into what Westerns have called the age of Aquarius, what we have known to be called the age of the great mother returning. And so the physical manifestation of that is the African woman. And in order 
for they have a balance between male and female, it says that the female has to be in alignment. She rep- is representation of the throne. And symbolically, it also is saying that in order for manhood to fully be at its height, and they use this analogy, man sits on a throne. And it means your foundation. And that foundation is the strength of an African woman. So if an African woman's identity, her mindset, how she thinks about herself first and how society responds to her is not balanced, we as African people will never be able to get to a place of ultimate balance and freedom and liberation. So, um, Well, let me jump in and ask you this question, Sister Ama, at uh, eight after the top of the hour, because some people feel that women should be submissive to men. They should be not the equal partner. I guess in in the European Western society, the the woman is supposed to, you know, not be alongside men, but something not not on equal status as men. How does how does the African tradition see that? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, in terms of our perspective, for my understanding, because at first I do a disclaimer as being a student, that everything, there is a duality. There's nothing, it's not like either or. One is better than the other. It's both and. So when we're looking at these various perspectives on how men and women should relate to each other, it's also our worldview. We're conditioned from a Western mindset to say that one is better, male is better than female, or female is better than, than the male. It's, it's neither. <laughs> we cannot exist without each other. It is the Western culture that dictates or shows that the woman must be underneath <laughs> or treated a certain, a particular way. And traditionally, we're looking at, um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Finch often talks about the, the origins of us as African people and where the importance of matrilineal matrilineal um, systems of organizing were in place. It was more at a particular point um, where the feminine, not as an individual, but as a collective, recognizing the importance of the vehicle in which we come to this world was revered. And then um, you know, just in terms of with time and, and humans, there was a shift in that. But it's a, definitely something that's complementarity and a balance. Well, well, let me check in here, 11 after the top. Now, is this part of what Mahat talks a lot about balance 
And, you know, to hear some of our scholars talk about balance, that's where the, the, the male and female energy is supposed to be on the same level. Is, is this what you're, you're discussing? Yes. Yes. Um, and I want to show us it's, that it's complementarity. Like some, there are some notions in terms, this is, I, I um, in talking to people, I say that this, is, this has nothing to do with um, feminism. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It has to um, deal with our interdependence <laughs> and um, us working together in harmony. And yeah, so, the, the, well, well, let me ask you this. So it, it, we see the white feminist movement. We see that some of our sisters have adopted that. Is this, is this an alternative to that system? This is not even, I won't find anything in, in alternative. It's not even on the, it's not even on the <laughs> the same perspective. Some of the things that's not even the 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 the, 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 uh, the language to to define it because there's the feminisms, the isms is speaking out of a condition of oppression of when you are treated not treated a certain way. I have to have an ism to it. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about us as the the first people. So when you come there, you come in with a certain value and connection to the creator, to God. So it's, it's, there's nothing to feel um, less than because it's about connection, my relationship, my value, and how we come here from the divine, through the womb, connected to spirit. So if I exist in an environment where I am valued where I value myself, there's no need for me to exert my, um, this desire, there's no need for me to exert my, I am a, I'm a woman and treat me right, or I'm a man and treat me right. That's only coming out of a condition of oppression. And I'm, and it's necessary for us and including myself in it to shift the narrative from looking at things from oppression to this is my divine right. This is who I am. So you're going to function in the world differently. All right. Hold that thought right there. When we come back, though, tell us what's, what's going to happen tonight. When we attend the event, or either in person or on Zoom, what's going to happen? Family, just waking up, I guess, to Sister Ahmed. She's having an event tonight in Washington, D.C. at the Thurgood Marshall Center. We're focusing on the sisters right now, and African sisters on the womb. She's putting it all, connecting all these dots for us. You want to join this discussion? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll be back in four minutes with the phone calls right here in Baltimore on 1010. B-O-L-B. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with Sister Ama. She's having an event this morning, uh, this evening actually, Wednesday evening, and it's virtual. So you can check it out online. It's going to give us all the information how you can register for this because this is she's, what she's doing is enlightening us about how to deal, especially for women, but it, uh, it's also open for men as well. Am I correct in saying that, Sister Ama? Sister Ama still with us? Yes, 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 absolutely. Okay, so what's going to happen uh, today? Is is there anything that you have to bring with you uh, to, to this event? So um, for today, it's optional because I wanted to have it interactive. It is the first day 
of also of the winter solstice was the most um, darkest time of the day, which is also symbolic of the womb and beginning. So I normally open up in libation, but I wanted to make it participatory and so one for people to bring water that we can generate our own healing. Um, and then to a name of an ancestor. I put down the maternal line, but it doesn't have to be um, someone or maybe one or two that you feel as though protects you. And then three, a prayer, a prayer for yourself, something that you want to change in your life. Um, and we'll do that collectively to acknowledge our, our collective power in healing. Uh, the prayers of it won't be you won't have to say it or anything like that. You just write it down in in prayer, and so that'll just be a part of what we do today. So, so how effective is this uh, technique that you're using today? Is is there any way that you can you know determine whether or not it it works, or, or is just you know an exercise in futility? How do you see it? So, it's something very simple that's ancient. We do. When just a basic power of prayer and coming together. Anytime we come together as a community, what you invoke, what you set your intentions on, helps it intensify its manifestation, intensify our healing as a collective that we're better together than apart. And so it's demonstrated in the lives of, of each individual you know, um, in terms of how it shows up in your life. Um, I know for me, just on a very simple level, just having your friends or family pray for you and you pray for each other, it's uplifting, it's medicine, it's transformative. So I just want to show the simplicity. It doesn't have to be complicated. You know, you don't have to have, I got to go to this ritual and I have to get all these things. No. We have the power to heal ourselves. So true. And you know what I found out, you know, since I'm on this program, so so many people have not been on the journey that you have been on or or heard some of the the conceptions that you are talking about. They they haven't even heard. So help us out. How did you get to where you are now? Who were some of the people that inspired you and what made you take this field? Um, Well, from... I would say even from birth or before um, my mother, my great aunt, um, uh, for me before being born, it helped me to be born. My mother had some challenges. My aunt was a great um, prayer. She had her own church. She was a student. She worked with Martin Luther King back in the 60s. So before I even came here, I come from a particular legacy. I would definitely have to acknowledge um, the women in my family. Um, and also in terms of educators of people that we know, I, um, would say some of the traditional healers, I've spent time with Baba Credo Mutwa in South Africa. Um, you've had Dr. Finch on here many times. Um, one of my earth, uh, teachers around African spirituality in Atlanta, her name is, um, Dr. Morales, uh, as well as traditional healers in the diaspora of Queen of Fua, um, Dr. Lila Africa, um, just a whole host, Dr. Jewel Pukram. Um, there are a whole host of 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 people. Oh, and I cannot forget uh, Sabasa Sumay, 
Dr. Dr. Francis Beth Wilson, Dr. Patricia Newton, um, so many people uh, that I could that I could name. But that's maybe some common things that that people uh, are aware of. Right. And I just say many of those we've had on this program, including, of course, Dr. Wilson, Dr. Newton, Drew Prukram, Krita Mutwa, we had him on. He's in South Africa. Family. Somebody had to go get him because he wasn't, you know, sitting by a phone. But it was enlightening. Also, Dr. Layla Africa and Queen of Fu, all those, those have been on this program before. So this, these were the, the guidelines. These were the people who uh, you helped project or you studied on it to now that you can deliver this this information that you're going to share with us uh, this evening at the, uh, the uh, Thurgood Marshall Center. And it's about connecting the state of the universal African womb to the restoration and healing of African people. You know, one of the things, though, that I understand with first, that people understand that they need healing. So, uh, Sister Alma, how do you, how do you get that, that across them first before they make the first step that this is something that is going to benefit them? What do you tell them? Well, so I would say that if there's something that is a concern of you, we're, you know, we're born, we have certain circumstances, we come into a family, and our first step for healing um, comes from within and comes from within our family. So some of the work I also do, I do help facilitate rites of passage for adolescents and adult women. And um, one of the things that I found that's to be most profound is to focus on your family line, your not just what they do, how what the people's names were, but what were the, what was their story, what was their pattern, right? What was their pattern of strength? What was their pattern of challenge? What were the relationship dynamics? When you go deep like that, it helps to open up the healing that we need to do. So if I know that I have the language, if I know that I have issues around self-value or self-confidence, and then I start to look at my family line and see, oh, there's a pattern within the women in the family. So it's not just me. And so then I can begin to connect with and see how to create aspects of healing to change the behavior, right? So even just to say right now, this is an example of it. My ancestors and my elders said, Alma, you need to speak. So if I don't, then that creates illness in the body and the life experience. You know I what you mentioned? An yeah, it's an example. Uh, Twenty-eight out of the time there. But let, let me ask you this about the rites of passage for women, because I've heard of the rites of passage for young boys. But t- explain to us what's what goes into the rites of passage for women, young women. Well, there's a lot. Some things are common common nouns, but when you're dealing with rites of passage, rites of passage really, um, as it relates to human growth and development, is that it helps to prepare you for each stage in human growth and development in life, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically. So uh, as we do with rites of passage here, um, you're coming back to the source of who we are and what's involved. You Usually there's a removal of your environment. You're taken away from your environment. 
and you're in a place with other older mothers or people of experience to help you to transform. You experience certain things. You, there are lots of lessons that I learned. And I have to say this. One of the things that we're doing, adult rites of passage is not a common thing on the continent because it's something that happened when you're, when you're young. So what we're doing here, we say it's a Sankofa experience. We're going back and retrieving that which we need. So it's going to look a little bit, it's going to look a little bit different, but you're going to deal with things in terms of addressing who you are, your identity as a, as a woman, you're going to um, tap into your strengths, the importance of sisterhood and relationships and dispelling this and then doing some self-reflection. We can't say you, I want this particular condition or environment, but you're haven't taken time to say, am I ready to do it? So rites of passage also is not about talking about the other, meaning uh, what someone else is doing, like a male or an opposite. You're focusing on your divine self and how to manifest that. And if you can't deal with, um, we always tell people for adult rights, you have to have a support system because there's going to be some openings of some, whatever you're most vulnerable about, whatever you're most insecure about, it's going to be awakened. And you have to have a support system in order to help to facilitate. It's a warrior healer. And I have to, can't say without acknowledging Mama Nzinga Warfield Coffee, who was known and what a lot of people, some of the works that's done, even her husband, um, Baba Atiba Coffee, did a lot of work on writing foundational documents on rites of passage. And it's through her, the concept of the, us being the warrior healer that we as African people and particularly women have to strive. You have to be a warrior and a healer and see that it's the same, one and the same. All right. 29 away from the top. I've got to ask you this question because when we think of black women, young black women today, most of the times people think of the young rappers and, and we, you don't have to name them, you know, who they are and the kind of music that they present and, and videos that they're out there showing now. How would this, how would they change if they went through the rites of passage or they came to your event that's taking place tonight? Mm. Well, I would say, I don't say if I, I don't know how they would change, but it would be awareness of how to tap into your divinity and who you are and to know that everything is okay. And I hear, I have to, I want to say this. When we see what's happening to the state of women, of black women, and we say something about it, say, are you addressing their pain before you talk about the problem? So it would be to awaken your, the self-love that you have within yourself. Got so it. That would you, be, yeah. Yeah. And you talk about an awakening. What, what was it for you, though? What was it, you know, that aha moment when you figured out this is the road I'm supposed to go on and and, and not the other road. How was it? Well, how was it? Well, I went to Tuskegee University. When I first went there, I had a professor. So if anybody knows from Tuskegee, knows Professor Fluker. I went to to the school. I went to his class. He started talking about the last poets. He talked about, this is when I learned that ancient Egypt or Kemet, that we were the civilization that built it. And he brought Dr. Dr. Francis Crutch Welsing 
to Tuskegee University. And it is from that and an organization that I um, became a part of was called Vanguard Akahetu Kara, a student organization. And it is from there, from those experiences, and I realized that I'm African. I told my mother, I went home, I said, Mom, I'm African, I'm not a Christian, <laughs> and I'm going to spend the rest of my life seeking that understanding. So, hold that thought right there. We got to take a quick break, though. I want, want you to go back when you told mom that, hey, I'm, a, I'm an African. I'm not a Christian. <laughs> I want you to take us back to that scene, Sister Ama. Family, you want to join this conversation? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We're to take our first look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. But we'll be back in four minutes with Sister Ama right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour, Sister Hama. Sister Hama is uh, having an event taking place. It's, it's by Zoom. It's uh, virtual, so you you can participate in it. She's going to connect the state of the universal African womb to the restoration and healing of African people. Before we go back to her, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to hear from uh, another metaphysician and a master herbalist himself, Dr. B. He's going to explain the significance of Thursday's winter solstice, and also he's going to talk about why the, sh- the light on the shortest day of the year, and also about telomere and the connection to the Christmas season. But before we hear from Dr. B, the co-founder of the Young Lords, Felipe Luciano will preview his book, Flesh and Spirit, Confessions of a Young Lord. And tomorrow, Professor Menu Ampin is going to join us. Now, Professor Ampin was the one who discovered that the Willie Lynch letter was, was a, f- a fake or a fraud, a hoax. He let, he's going to share with us uh, you know, the research he used to f- uh, find that out because he says he's been traveling and, and teaching at some various institutions and people are still quoting the Willie Lynch letter, much to his dismay. Also, also, Grio, Professor James Small will be here. Professor Small is going to talk about some of the, the significance of the, the rituals in this Christmas season. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Sister Anna, you mentioned yeah. that you went, came back from college, told your mama that you were African. You were no longer Christian. What did mama say? <laughs> Oh, that was a whole lot because, you know, at that time, you're, it, everybody knew you and you're younger, you're kind of somewhat rebellious. So she was like, I raised you to be a Christian. She thought I would probably follow on a, a similar path of pastors or healers in a family in that sense. And so I just told her, I said, well, Mom, you're the one who taught me that there are more ways, um, one, to understand and know God. And, you know, I just gave her some of the things that she taught me <laughs> um, in reference to it. But I had to, um, and, and I, my way to connect is to show, show the commonalities and in, in, um, just like one of the things is like we talk about uh, sacrifice so and ancestors, right? And so I said, wasn't Christ the ancestor? Did his life was sacrificed? And you acknowledge him? <laughs> so we had a lot of um, discussions over the years, actually, um, um, around it. But it was, yeah, something interesting when I first got back home. And it was like, you're, 
what? <laughs> what has happened to my child? So <laughs> she sent her sent you out of college, and you come back radicalized. You're no longer a Christian. I know. I I just can imagine the the feeling because you know, fat in many of our households, many of us were raised that way, reared that way, if you will, and and then you come back and tell them that you're no longer a Christian, but you're you're an African, and and, and all that it entails. And I, I guess you broke that down. And mom's hearing this for the first time, and like, what happened to my daughter? <laughs> so yeah. that must have. It, it, it was funny, but actually it was interesting because one of the things that happened with the transformation was around the hair. Because even though I had the understanding, but it's not internalized. So I went to this literal, a literal transformation from, with my hair from um, perm to wearing it long braids to natural. And then in the end, my mother ended up getting her hair natural. And she told me that it was influenced by me. Oh, there you, you go. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. We'll talk about hair in a moment. But Charles has joined us. He's online, too. He's calling from, I think he's in Baltimore. Charles, good morning. Yes, how you doing? Good morning. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, do you have any American Indian in your family in the last three or four generations? I would have to say, yeah. I mean, I think most of us may have some connections with Native American, but I, yes. And do you have any African in your family in the last five or ten generations that you can actually put your finger on? Yes. All right. And I who do. would that be? Who would that be? You You want to know the person or the, the connection? The, the person. Is, uh, because, because a lot of people allude to things that don't actually come to fruition. So I would really want to know the person if you can actually put your finger on and what generation are we talking about? Well, actually, well, without giving specific names of personal family, but from my, I recently went to my family reunion and um, we have some, you know, ancestors that, in particular in my mother's line, have traced their ancestry as far as um, back even to Sierra Leone. And the funny thing was that I recently, about two years ago, I did my ancestry and it went for my mother's line. The, the mitochondrial DNA went back to 100% Mende um, from Sierra Leone, this African ancestry. And when I went to my family reunion, they were talking about the women or people and not just women, the family who they heard stories of them being from Sierra Leone and so connected to some church churches. So, um, in that sense, that's a direct link, at least on my mother's line. All right. Charles, all right, is that it, Charles? Oh, I think he hung up. Your question again, Charles, we didn't, we've missed the first part of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still was wondering if she had any factual, concrete information, because ancestry is just collecting your DNA. They can't tell you anything about dead relatives. All right, I'm no, I'm not sure where this question line of questions going. To yeah. like an attorney now, but I thank you, Charles. Thanks you, thank thanks you. for your question. You know, you know, Sister Ama, 
everybody wants, nobody wants to be African. What's, well, nobody. Some people don't want to be African. We want to be everything else except African. And that was the way I think the line of questioning was going about Native mm-hmm. American and all this other stuff that, you know, basically some, for some folks feel polluted our, our lineage. But, you know, Renoka, that's what these days I miss Renoka Rashidi. It's amazing how some, some people shy away from everything that's African. Any, just, you know, we've been programmed that way, you know, addicted to white. Mm-hmm. It's Dr. Fox mm-hmm. will teach us, you know, anything but African. And, and, and there you had a classic example with that line of questioning, folks. I'm, I'm yeah. acting like a, we're in court right now. But that was, a, you know, because there wasn't anything there, you know. But anyway, let's, let's forget yeah. that. Let's, let's keep rolling here at 13 away from the top of the hour. So tonight, though, you're going to teach people about libations. For those who are not familiar, they've, they've heard about it. And we now see the young brothers are doing it on the street corners, too. Libation. Give us a little bit of background with why you're doing libations. So libation is one of the oldest forms of prayer. It mimics the, it mimics the function of the, uni, of, of the heavens as above, so below. Water pours down. It rains. It nourishes. Um, it's a libation. It depends on what you use. Um, the substance is transformative. So it's a way to directly um, call attention to your ancestors and to the creator and to make, to shift things, to make a change in our lives. And we can always remember um, those who have come before us. And um, it's a way to, for us to maintain our connection and our psyche. It's, it's, I guess to say it's just one of the oldest forms of prayer. And you're using water. And water, we're born in water with the amniotic fluid and water that sustains us and we're made up of water. And so we use that in its most simplest form um, to, as a form of prayer. So this evening when we're watching, we should have some water with us? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yes. Yeah, so but this is it's going to be more for energizing because we have the power to shift things, to change the energy vibration with our hands and with our intention. So it's us activating our own healing power. You pray over things. Yeah. And you also said having mind an ancestor in your maternal family line, which you feel a strong connection to. Why the maternal family line? <clears throat> the maternal family line for the nature of the, the topic is because when we're going with the, the maternal, you can do both. When you're at the maternal line in relation going to the DNA, this is the most ancient the most sustainable, the, that which, um, that can, that protects us and nourishes us. So sometimes you can, di- if you do that, you're directing that energy to the core of who you are. And people talk about this epigenetics and um, these things that, uh, how things can last generations. 
in our DNA. So when you call in that maternal line in a simple act, you're calling on the generations in your family to make change in your life. Right. And also you want folks to think about some aspect of themselves or their family or the African community that you would like to direct mm-hmm. healing energy towards. Explain why that why and what happens when, when you do that. So why, as another next um, presenter is going to talk about the solstice, is when you want to make change, it has to happen within the spirit, within um, internally. And when you say a prayer and you do it collectively, it helps to make it manifest. And so during this time of most darkness that's happening is that we're most receptive in our spirit. So you, it, we may see things that happen where there's a lot of crimes or suicides or things like that that happens around this time because we're out of alignment. So when you focus your intention to go within, you can help to set the seed, plant the seed or change in your life. So th- this event was, was picked on this particular day because of the solstice, correct? Well, well, no, I think just because it just happened to be on this day, but the, um, you know, because the lecture series occurs of a Tony Browder, the Wisdom Wisdom, occurs, I think, every third Wednesday of the month. And it's just the, symbi- the, the I won't say the irony, there's nothing by coincidence that yeah. this one happens to be on the solstice and the topic. Yeah. Right. Again, nothing happens by coincidence. The ancestors are at work. They, this is the information they want you to pass on to our people. So who would you like to see? Who? Because I've I put at the address how people can you know, join the, the Zoom or the webinar, if you will, or how they can register online on social media. So those of you who are listening to us who want to check it out, please do so. It's so who are you really aiming at? Is it just the, the ladies, the sisters, nope. the brothers, both youngsters, children, whom? All, everybody, we all, all of us have to come here through some means. And we all need to be aware of what's, of the state of the world and what's happening. So it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Um, Yes, I was going to just add to it's a global thing. The other thing I'm going to talk about briefly is the assault, the, the continuous assault on the African family, but particularly through women. In prison, um, you know, there's a case of of out in California where women have been sterilized and they didn't even realize it. And they don't find out till they till they come out of prison at seven years. They they were sterilized seven years ago. Didn't know why they were having all these problems. It hasn't changed. And wow. the things that are being done to our bodies and children's bodies and just it's just a whole lot that we have to be aware of. They're clear. Right. Yes, that's it. Okay. I was going to say, we're going to take a quick break. Can you stay for a few more minutes and just tell us how we can uh, jump on the link this evening? We'll really okay. appreciate it. Uh, six minutes okay. away from the top of our family. As I mentioned, we've got to get caught up in the latest traffic and weather and the news in Baltimore. We'll be back in four minutes, though, with Sister Anna and also Felipe Luciana. Right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL or information. His power. Keep
And good morning again, family. And thanks for rolling with us this morning, minute after the top of the hour. Sister Anna is our guest. Uh, momentarily speaking to uh, Felipe Luciano. But let's wrap up with Sister Anna. So Sister Anna, uh, t- this evening's event, how can folks log on? Is there an email address, phone number, any uh, contact information you want to share with us? So uh, people can go to the IKG uh, Cultural Resource Center uh, website uh, and to get the information about getting onto the Zoom call. So I know it's IKGCulturalResourceCenter.com, and then you will go to the lecture series and you will see it. I'll also um, share it with you. If you can also put it on your page in terms of the link where people can also register um, for for the program. All right. Now I did that up myself. Uh, What time does it start tonight? It's going to be 7 p.m. Eastern time, 7 to 9. All right. Great. Those folks who listen on the rebroadcast will have time to jump on as well. Thank you, Sister Amit. Thanks for sharing what you're doing in our community. Okay, thank you. And this again, my oh, my website personally is destinyboundwellness.com. And um, you can look that up as well. Also on Facebook, I have a Facebook page, Destiny Bound um, Wellness as well. So All right. look that up to get more information. Thank you. All righty. Thank you for sharing that information with you. All right, family, let's All move right. on now to our next guest, Felipe Luciana. Good morning, Felipe. Is Felipe there on line two? Not hearing Felipe. Yeah, hit that right button. We're going to talk about his book, Flesh and Spirit, Confessions of a Young Lord. Is Felipe there on line two? I'm here, sir. Oh, okay. I didn't hear you. <laughs> Good well, morning, sir. Off, we, uh, your producers and I have been trying to keep a, a line free uh, and uh, effective, and it, it's been difficult. I don't know what's happening with these phones. But be yeah. it as it may, here we are. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm excellent. How about yourself? Well, I'm very well, thank you. Merry Christmas Good. To, all, to all of your listeners, to you, to the staff. Merry Christmas. All right, we want to talk about your book, Flesh and Spirit, Confessions of a Young Lord. First of all, Felipe, why did you write this book? Um, there were several reasons. One is to address the epidemic of fatalism among brown and black youth. Um, it is becoming a real problem, a national problem. We can talk about crime, we can talk about addiction. But what it is, is lack of self-esteem, lack of inspiration. Um, I believe what Sly Stone says. You can make it if you try, but you got to try. Um, stand up and deliver. Do you remember that movie, Carl? Yep. Remember what uh, Lee almost says, Edward, Lee, Edward almost says? The, the missing factor is gana. In Spanish, it means desire. We have mm. to have the desire to win. We have the desire to move forward. And I wrote the book for two reasons. One was to uh, talk about um, the demons that are there. I had to get the demons off me because I've been involved in um, activism for half a century. And I wanted to be able to move on because those spirits continued to plague me. And I decided I didn't want it to affect me, my children, or my family anymore. That's number one. Number two, I wanted to inspire people that it is possible to create abundance and joy uh, and intelligence around you if you manifest it, if you, within yourself, 
say, look, I am a citadel of hope. I'm a citadel of power. I'm a citadel of healing. Um, and I know that sounds crazy with all the violence that I've been through, but I decided that it was possible. That doesn't mean that you stand there and become a patsy in this world. But I know that it is possible to move to the next step. Um, that's why I did it. Right. Sort of catharsis, if you will. Yes, at one point. Very much so. Yeah, we, we, we've got to tell the audience the backdrop because you're a black Puerto Rican. And yes. back in the 60s, 70s, growing up, the black and Puerto Rican moved together. We, you know, we were synonymous. We were, you know, uh, for me, it was always, you always had black and Puerto Ricans. All, it was, you know, together. When yeah. I went to L.A., it was, it was a different thing. It was black. It was on one side. Mexicans are on one side. There wasn't that mm-hmm. coalition that we have in New York. I'm not sure if we still have it in New York City. Maybe you can help us out with that part of it. But tell us about that, because this is the backdrop of all what you've done as well. Well, remember that geographically, um, you there in California and in L.A. do not have the proximity to the Caribbean that we have. Um, Remember that most of the Africans who were enslaved who came here uh, were brought to Cuba, Puerto Rico, uh, Hispaniola, uh, and Brazil. So we have already, by virtue of proximity, a sense of who we are. Uh, For example, when I grew up, I realized that South Carolinians love rice. And I grew up in that culture. Uh, What you're talking about is L.A. where there's a different, not a different, but a unique way of looking at Latinos. They have a very different way of looking at it. Um, We had to come to terms around what blackness was. Um, I grew up with black folk all my life. So I grew up loving jazz and loving R&B and loving um, dance. Um, there hasn't been proximity on the part of Latinos, uh, Mexicans, and others in the L.A. area uh, with that. Um, I believe that the only way you come to know each other and love each other uh, and hang together is when you actually put your hand out and say, I want to learn. That does not happen in D.C. that much. It doesn't happen. Uh, I've, I've been to D.C. so many times, and I don't see the kind of unity that I see here. And we're only a few miles apart. Um, here in New York, we had to come together. We were being killed. How do we, how do we, uh, how do we reach out to each other? Uh, how do I get to know your mama? How do you get to know my mama? How do you get to know my culture? How do you get to eat my food? How do you get to hang out with me? These are the kinds of, when you know a person, you can't hate them anymore. You can't separate yourself from them anymore. Um, And I I say that for all cultures. Um, We have here probably, and we don't understand it yet, the greatest concentration of black and Latinos in the United States. It's phenomenal. Um, I can walk from my house in Spanish Harlem to East Harlem, to Central Harlem, and I know thousands of people. We all know each other. What's happening? What's happening, uh, uh, Jamal? How you feel, brother? It's a wonderful day. They're Muslims, they're Christians, they're Baptists, or they're atheists, but I know them. And the wonderful thing is that I know their mamas, too. So you've got to know each other before you, so you can come together. Here in this city, uh, we've come together politically and culturally. And I think it's a boon, and I think it's something we should exploit even more. But I know that the, uh, their, um, their, the question 
for us in this country, people of color, is how do we get past what I call cultural nationalism? Just because I'm black, does that make me unique? It makes me unique. Does that make me better than? Just because I'm Puerto Rican, does that make me better than? How do we begin to deal with those questions of self-esteem and superiority that were given to us by the colonizers to begin with? We got to get past that, brother. Yeah, and you're speaking about cities. I hope our listeners in Chicago are hearing what you said because there's been some divisions there, as you know, between the black and Puerto Ricans, all, all orchestrated by the... I want to say hairy hand, but you know the the oppressors they're keeping us divided. Uh, uh, can you touch on that a little bit for us, Felipe? Yeah, I was I was in Chicago before uh, when Chewy was uh, going to be uh, touted as the mayor. Um, I love Chicago. I love the people there. Uh, I love the cleanliness of the city. Remember, black folk there are Delta folk, basically. Uh, and there's a warmth and a spirituality there that I love. When I go there, when I used to go there, I don't go there as much. Um, I would go to um, uh, a restaurant somewhere in the middle. I can't remember where it was, where they give you pancakes and great breakfast. It's a black restaurant. I love it. And they took me in as if I were their son. Um, I couldn't understand why, with the cleanliness of the city, the beauty of this town, why they were so segregated. I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger, what was wrong? But it's been like that for years, almost a century. Chicago is segregated. That doesn't mean that we can't reach out. And just because um, there are certain cabals there, um, white and Latino and black, do you understand that we all make money off separation? We make money off separation. If I can get you to hate the other guy, um, that I have you at my side, you're going to come support me, support my product, support my ideology, support uh, whatever movement I have. And I think that's where we have to start. Um, I gave a speech there many years ago, um, and I had both black and Puerto Ricans there. It was at the, um, what is this, the museum there, uh, the African Museum. And I had, I had loads of people came, and I, t- I tore it up. We are all together. I don't understand this, Carl. We both come from the same continent. Do we understand that? Can we understand that we're all African? And it doesn't matter whether you come from uh, Matamoros, Mexico, uh, uh, you know, Puebla, uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, or Ponce, Puerto Rico. We are in this together. We, have, we look like each other. When we came to these shores, some of us landed up in San Juan. Some of us landed up uh, in Virginia. Some of us landed up in Puerto Rico. But we all come from the same stock. I've never understood how people don't see that. And if you look at some, I, I walk the streets of Harlem, and I look at some of the sisters, or, or Chicago, and I look at some of the sisters, that could be my grandmother, could be my aunt. You don't know how. There's only six degrees of separation. Carl, you and I could be brothers or cousins. We don't know. Because we're all in this together. We all came on the same boat. We ended up in different shores. We ended up speaking different languages. But we must never allow those forces of disruption, those forces of separation to keep us from trying out new cultures. I have brothers tell me, I can't speak that meter meter stuff. And I said, why don't you try, brother? Try. And the moment they are embraced by the culture, they leave their, uh, their mantle of disgruntlement, of frowns, they leave it because they're being accepted. Everybody wants to be loved. 
And I hope I'm not being, uh, what do they call it, um, pie in the sky. But I'm telling you, as a black Puerto Rican, I grew up with black folk. They taught me how to think. They taught me how to fight. They taught me how to run. They taught me what the game, the street games were. And to this day, my lifeline is connected to Harlem. Um, it's happening now to Mexican kids. It's happening to Dominican kids. Some people, it's, for some people, it's difficult to enter into the, um, the temple of blackness without thinking they're going to be criminals because we're depicted as that by the media. But the moment you get to meet a person and get to know them, and that's what I say in the book. Uh, I was in the jail and I met many, many inmates who were uh, black folk. And I knew I was black. My grandmother told me, Africa is your mother. Puerto Rico is your father. In other words, the, the, the womb of it all is Africa. So why are we fighting each other? Why in Chicago is there so much division? I don't understand it. And if you understood where we come from, how it happened, uh, and embrace each other, it'll be all right. We need to see many more Latinos in black communities, many more black folk in Latino communities. I really feel that. All right. Hold that thought right there, Felipe. We've got to take a quick break here and check the traffic and weather in our different cities. When we come back, I want to talk more about your book, how it all started, how it got involved with the young lords, and also the last poets. And Felipe is also on the radio as well, family. A lot of people in New York don't for being on the radio as well. You want to join this conversation with Felipe Luciano? I already got a question for him, Felipe. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right after we check the traffic and weather in Baltimore on 1010 WLB and also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. It's 21 minutes after the top of the hour. I guess it's Felipe Luciano. The, us folks in New York know who Felipe is. I mean, the rest of the country may not know, but what, he, what he's done for, to help all of us, putting it in a book. The book is titled Flesh and Spirit, Confessions of a Young Lord. He was a member of the Young Lords and also a member of the Last Poets. But the book opens up, Felipe, with you getting into a gang, getting convicted of manslaughter. Tell us about that. Cause, and it was, it was really graphic the way it's written as well. Before I begin, let me uh, sing odes to a woman in Chicago who really taught me what Chicago was. Her name is Yvonne Davila, and she's been in Chicago for a while. She's from the Bronx, and she's an incredible person. And I want people to understand that you have people in your town who are Puerto Rican and black who are wonderful. She, has, uh, she married a, 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 um, a surgeon, and she has two be- three beautiful children. Yvonne, if you're listening, if not, I'm going to tell you right now, God bless you. Stay in touch and Merry Christmas. Now, what happened was I was, since I didn't have a father, I was born on welfare, um, and um, my mother was very frustrated and went through a lot of changes with us. Um, I ended up on the streets a lot. Now, I didn't know that I was intelligent. People had to tell me later, man, you're, you're, you're bright. I knew I was quick, but there's a difference, a qualitative difference between being quick and being brilliant. Um, I didn't realize that when I was in gangs. I joined gangs, and let me tell you something. I loved it. People don't understand what the gang does for you. It gives you self-confidence. It gives you a feeling of, uh, of camaraderie with your brothers. It did something for me, and I, I didn't want to leave them. But the code in gangs is that you must adhere uh, to whatever the gang wants to do. 
Um, also, and that conflicted with what I had, what I was brought up with as a Puerto Rican. In Puerto Rican families, your family is the most important thing in the world. For black people, it's faith. So I, I often say, if we could put those two together, faith and family, we, could, we can control whatever we want to control in this country. Be that as it may, um, I uh, had always told the gangs that I will, there were other neighboring gangs where I was in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and uh, they wanted me to join them. I said, no, uh, uh, there were Puerto Rican gangs that wanted me to join them and black gangs that wanted me to join them. Um, I was, I was a, a little pipsqueak, but I fought hard. And so they always wanted me on their side. I said, I can't do that. Um, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay where I am. Um, everywhere I lived was always black, always. Whether it was the projects, whether, whatever it was, I was always in a black neighborhood. And when you're in a, whatever community you're in, that's the community that you have to be loyal to. So I told her, if you ever need help, you call me. But other than that, I'm out of it. Now, my brother was going to a party. He was about 14. Uh, I was 16 at the time. And my brother went to a party, and some guys were up there who didn't like me. There's always one dude in the group um, that hates your guts. I, you, we don't know why. Um, I, I, I've lectured on this. We don't know why that particular person cannot stand you. But there was one guy uh, who just, you know, his name was Larry, couldn't stand me. I don't know, I don't know why. Um, you could see that he, he was torn. His face was always contorted. And I, I, I always frowning, always negative spirit. And um, I had made it clear to everybody around me, this is the Puerto Rican code. You mess with my family, you mess with me. So my brother went up to the party. They had gone downstairs. The gang that was upstairs uh, partying had gone downstairs. They tried to beat up three Puerto Rican men who were coming from work. Well, thank God the three Puerto Rican men that they came to take off, they were going to take them off, uh, fought well. No weapons, no nothing. They fought well. And they were able to repel the attack. Well, they were messed. They were pissed off, the brothers. And they came upstairs looking for a victim. And they found my brother. And they beat him half to death. Well, I was, and check this out, Carl. I was at Carnegie Hall listening to Gregorian chants. I loved uh, Renaissance music. Uh, even though I was raised up on Smokey and Tito Puente and Eddie Palmieri and Machito, um, I, loved, uh, I loved classical music. So, when I came home from the concert at Carnegie Hall, they came to me and said, your brother's been messed up, man. I said, who did it? And the guy didn't want to tell me. So I had to smack him around a little bit. His name was Shorty. He's dead now. And uh, he told me it was Larry. I called my cousin, who was part of a group called the Chaplain. Now, the Chaplains here in New York, I don't know how many of you know this, but in New York, we had gangs too. Now, Chicago had some gangs. Let's, let's face it, Chicago was serious. Um, but we had a group called the Chaplain, and they were... Based, based in Brooklyn, but they were incredible. They had such a tight hold on the community. And uh, in every community, every project, low-income housing project, there was a chaplain branch. So I called my cousin in Canarsie, which is a part of, um, a part of Brooklyn, and he said, I'll be there tomorrow. And I, you know something, Carl? I knew this boy was going to die because that's the code. It's inviolable. You, you, you pay, you, you play, you pay, you don't, you die. I knew that we were going to do this dude. Uh, I didn't want him to die, but I knew somehow in the back of my head, I knew he was not going to make it. So we went there and I faced him. I was scared to death of him. I mean, scared. Um, but then he said something that for me and for any Puerto Rican, 
He said, well, I'll mess with you. I, I don't, so what? I beat your brother up. So what? I'll beat your brother. I'll beat your sister. I'll beat your mother. I couldn't hear anything after that. It was over. I rushed at him with such fury that he fell down. He had never fallen down. He never thought that this little guy was going to try to take him out. And we did. Finally, one of the uh, gang members, uh, a guy named John, uh, took out a knife and stabbed him to death. Once in the heart, once in the lungs. Immediately after that, I was arrested. Um, but I stayed with him. The, uh, we had seven guys because we felt that's all we needed. In those days, you didn't have, you needed a lot of people, one or two, and you fight the guy to, you know, and to, uh, to whatever uh, conclusion you can. Um, but in those days, we didn't go around saying, okay, we lost the fight. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kill you. And that, it wasn't about this either. We just wanted a redress of grievances. As it turns out, he was older than me, um, but he died immediately, DOA. And when the cops came, they said, well, I guess you're going to fry because we weren't sure. The, there was a big debate in New York about whether to kill uh, people, uh, teenagers in the electric chair uh, for crimes. And I thought my life was over. Uh, and that's the beginning of, of the travel, the beginning of the journey that, in a sense, saved my life. Actually, going to jail saved my life. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. How so? Well... I wasn't going anywhere. I knew that I was capable of more, Carl. I knew that I could do more. Uh, I read voraciously. I had great teachers. Um, in those days, the public schools were um, basically filled with uh, immigrants uh, from the Holocaust, people, uh, Ashkenazi Jews, for example, who taught me to read, who taught me to decipher words, who taught me to think critically. Uh, one that I can note uh, and I always do this. Her name was Miss Ethel Shapiro, uh, who loved me to infinity. It was just wonderful. Um, but so I knew that I was capable of more, but I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't feel that I was stuck. Brother. I was living on Granite Street in Brooklyn between Bushwick and Broadway. And I knew that I could feel it. Kids know when they're stuck. Kids know what fatalism is. Nihilism, where you don't feel anything for anybody or anything. Um, I, when I got busted, I walked into a situation that was tribal. And when I walked in there, um, I think angels appeared. Um, let me say this now. Black people are angels. If we could only see it. I see some of these black children on the streets. I hug them. I kiss them. They are gorgeous. And I would hope that Puerto Ricans would see that too. I would hope that black people see Puerto Ricans as angels. Because we are. So I grew up with that feeling that's my brother. It's as simple as that. I go into jail, and the first thing that happens uh, is I'm crying. I'm in the slop sink. I'm crying. And this is in the book. And as a brother, I'll tell you what his name is later, he, he knocked on the door and said, what's up, man? 
And I, man, I got, you know, I got five years. I was convicted of five years. So he said, what are you crying for? And these people, they give me five years. I didn't kill them. He said, were you there? I said, yes. He said, did you organize the gang? I said, yes. He said, that's what we read in the papers. So you're going to get as much time. So he looked at me and said, the next time, he grabbed me by my throat. He said, next time I see you crying about the measly five years that you got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you. And he took a water. You know those uh, mop uh, ringers? They were made of metal in the old days. They're made of plastic now. And he lifted it vertically. He lifted it horizontally in the air, Carl. He lifted it. I said, I mean, this guy's strong. That's a 35-pound, 40-pound uh, piece of equipment. He said, I don't want you, I don't, I won't, I don't want to hear a sound out of you. And I was whimpering. And uh, so immediately when I looked up at him, I looked at him for the first time I looked at him, this guy was gorgeous. He was, men can admire men. He was like a warrior. He was a warrior king. Um, not a scorpion king, a warrior king. He was Chaka Zulu and everybody else all wrapped, and Hannibal all wrapped into one. So I looked at him admiringly, and because I'm used to presidents of gangs, I'm used to them being the top go. They, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And he saw me looking at him, and something in him changed. I don't know what it was, but he had never been looked at with admiration. Um, so his face changed. He became surly. He became outraged. And he said, uh, "You know, you need. To, what did he say? He said, it's in the book. I, I, I hardly remember. You need, don't you ever cry over this." Then he went around the room, Carl, calling people's names. Rice, how much time you got? 25 to life. He said, Epps, how much time you got? Man, 25 to life. When you getting out? He said, I don't know, about 20 years. Can you imagine these were kids at 16 already resigned to defeat? Already. And he said, and you have only five years and you're crying? He said, Negro, you better, you better stop. I'll kill you if you keep on crying like that. These people are in here for life. And I said, man, I didn't know. He said, oh, I didn't know. And he imitated in a white boy accent uh, a Leave it to Beaver thing. He did a whole skit on Leave it to Beaver. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, I, I thought I, I, was, I was a Spanish guy until I realized I was in the, in the forest of black men. And I thought, and I thought they were going to take my booty. So I was crazy. I was scared. And the whole day room began to laugh. Um, and it broke the tension. So, because I had been looking to, to, I said, listen, I didn't stab this guy that I'm being convicted of, but I'm definitely going to stab this guy in front of me because he is really making fun of me. As it turns out, uh, he looks at me and he says, okay, he said, you're looking at me like you want to hurt me. He said, but at least you ain't, your heart ain't pumping Kool-Aid. And he grabs me around the neck. Uh, and begins to, you know, play, play fight me. This is on the eighth floor of one of the most dangerous detention centers in New York City, Brooklyn House of Detention. It's called Warrior School. So I was pretty good with my hands, and we were, part, we were shifting around, you know, left jab, right jab. And he caught me a few times. I caught him a few times, but he was good. Uh, and he hit me with the, his punch on the top of my head. And I said, man, that's nice, nice punch. And he said, not nice. You better learn how to fight, man. Learn how to fight here. Because you're pretty good uh, in sham battles, which are fake battles that you, you learn how to fight that way. He said, but you're in jail now. And you stick with me, and, and I'll teach you. And do you know that guy, his name? I said, man, you're like my angel, brother. He said, yeah, but my name is Diablo. And that Diablo turned out to be my angel. He taught me what to do, never to take anything for free, 
uh, and he called. He, we have ways of tra- of transmitting messages in jail um, that go all the way upstate. He had sent a message of state. This is my kid. Uh, and th- in the old days, kid meant um, uh, kid meant that you were you were you were you were um, sexualizing this guy. That you wow. were you were. Oh, that's all right there, Felipe. I'm just, uh, I'm just looking at the clock. I'm just so engrossed in, in your description of what, what what I read in the book, and then you telling it is so descriptive. We, we, we got to take a short break. We got to take another look at the okay, news, man. traffic, and weather in our different cities. Uh, 26 minutes away from the top there. I'll be back in four minutes with Felipe Luciano. We want to get into his, his role in the Young, uh, young Lords, he co-founder of the yes, Young sir. Lords, and also a member of the Last Poets. We want to talk about that. It's all in the book. And he's also a radio guy, too. Well-known radio guy as well. People in New York know about Felipe Luciano. But as I mentioned, we got to step aside and get caught up with the information. We're back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on... 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL for information is power. I'm actually rolling with this family. It's 19 minutes away from the top of the hour with Felipe Luciano. Felipe is a radio icon in New York City. He's also a member of the last uh, poets and also the Young Lords, a co-founder of the Young Lords. He's written a book. His life is in this book, Flesh and Spirit, Confessions of a Young Lord. Before we go back to Felipe, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we'll speak to Dr. B. And also tomorrow, Professor Mayan Ampen is going to join us from Contra Costa College out in California. He was the one who found out the Willie Lynch letter was a fake. He's going to tell you what research he used to prove that it was a fake. Also, Griot, Professor James Small will be with us. Professor Small is going to talk about some of the uh, Christmas rituals that some people participate in. So make sure you keep your radio tight right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, Felipe, take us to the Young Lords. How did that come about? Well, before I go into that uh, long uh, that long litany, I want to tell you, as you were going through the commercials, I was looking a hawk descended on a rooftop, which is right across the street from me, and it looked directly in this direction. That's my way of saying that God is watching. He's saying, hey, keep on talking, keep on positive. Uh, he just left right now. But the hawk is, has always been uh, a sort of spiritual symbol for me. I also want to let people know that in Chicago, you got some great Puerto Ricans. you got Chacha Jimenez who was the founder of the uh, Young Lords, it was a gang, and it was Fred Hampton who convinced them. Understand this, family. A black man told the Puerto Rican, why are you guys killing each other? And he got them to turn around, and it became a Young Lords, a political organization. I've met uh, Hampton's son, who I think is great. I've met Jonathan Jackson over there, who is uh, uh, Jesse Jackson's kid. I've met Jesse there. I've met you. I've met all the all the Puerto Ricans on that strip where they got that long Puerto Rican flag. I love y'all. Y'all are too much with that. Uh, it's a beautiful flag. I've also been to Billy Ocasio's place, uh, the Puerto Rican Salsa Museum, the Puerto Rican Museum. I wish people would go visit these places because if Black people begin to visit Puerto Rican places of interest, there will be unity. There's going to be unity. And of course, uh, one of the young lords, one of the great young lords, iconic young lords, a guy named Juan Gonzalez, who's there now. He's transferred from. Uh, the Northeast from New York City metropolitan area. He's over there in Chicago. So if you get to meet any of those people, uh, Yvonne Davila, uh, Juan Gonzalez, Chacha Jimenez, you tell them, or um, uh, uh, Fred Hampton's kid, you tell them, Felipe, say, what's up, dude? Uh, by all means. Okay, now you want me to talk about the, um, the last poets? 
Was it? No, it's not with the Young Lords. Which which came first, the last poets or the Young Lords? The last poets came first. I had just come okay. out of jail, Carl, and a friend of mine, Victor Hernandez Cruz, I said, look, I don't I don't have anything to do. I'm scared of going back to jail. Um, he said, well, there's a, you know, there's a group on 125th Street. I was living on, on 12th then. There's a group um, that uh, is looking for uh, someone to help them. I said, what are they called? He said, the last poets. So I walked over there, and Guylan Kane was sitting in the dark by himself. And I asked him, look, I hear that you're looking for people. He said, who are you? In a very surly, confrontational way. I had gotten used to that in jail, so I didn't let it phase me. I said, my name is uh, Philip Luciano. In those days, I was Philip. And I just came out of jail. Um, I love reading. Uh, and uh, I love fighting. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I was raised Pentecostal. Uh, went to church three times a, a week, five times a week, uh, and three times on Sunday. And so he looked up at me. He, he looked at me like, are you crazy? Turns out he was raised the same way. He said, are you a carpenter? Can you do anything with wood? I lied, Paul. I said, of course I can. The people who were there present at the time that I came into the law for the first time, they knew I was lying. So he said, well, I need a, port- I need a door that's freestanding. I need a freestanding door because I'm doing a, a, a whole one-man show. And I said, sure, I can build it. He said, good, the lumber's in the back. So I go to the back, I start trying to, I couldn't I couldn't put wood together if you, if you paid me. And every time I tried something, it fell down. But because we had established a bond, his name was Guylin Kane. Um, because we had established a bond, he liked me. And it turns out we were raised the same way with abusive mothers uh, and mothers who forced us to be men and children at the same time. Um, because when there's no black man in the house, when there's no man in the house, the kid develops a sense of independence. And Okay, I'm the man in the house. But then when you try to assert your independence, a mother beats you down to the ground. Don't you dare disobey me. So we were, we were operating under the same, the same uh, circumstances. We became incredible friends. And the last poets, I, I, I couldn't write poetry in those days. Um, I knew I could write. Um, and, but I started hanging out with them. This is why osmosis is important. Who you hang with has an effect on who you are. And if you don't hang with people who are smarter than you, who, are, uh, who have skills that you don't have, you're not going to be able to reach those levels of accomplishment because you're still hanging out with people and you, you think you're bad, you think you're tough, you think you're intelligent because who, who you can rule over. I've always wanted to be around people who are smarter than me and who were much more uh, sophisticated than I was and could teach me the ways of life. So I ended up becoming a poet. It was an evolution. And before you know it, I was writing poems. And one day I wrote a, a poem, Cohibado, my pretty nigga. And they all cheered. And I said, wow, you mean, can, can I join the group? I said, of course you can. And that's how the last post started. It was me, Guylin Kane, David Nelson, who's an incredible poet, and one of the greatest friends I have, Abiodun Ojewole, um, who still is, is writing poetry. In fact, we're doing a thing at the New Jersey PAC. Um, uh, in January um, as the last poets. So we traveled all over the country. Uh, in those days, you could do that. We traveled all over. People think that they're doing gangster rap. Now, we weren't doing gangster rap. We were talking revolution. We were talking transformation of the mind. We were talking um, evolution and, and personal 
personal, um, personal transformation. Uh, it was like being born again, as far as I was concerned. Um, we were very much into black uh, art, very much into um, uh, the black arts movement. Our mentor was Amiri Baraka, who's one of the greatest poets in this country, uh, and several others. But he was the one who guided us. And so I became a poet. There goes the hawk again, brother. Um, uh, and I was just, I was just enthralled. I was with a group that, that loved me and cared for me. And it's always been like that for me. This little Puerto Rican boy has been able to move from community to community, and there was always a guardian angel. And I thank right. black people for that. And, and Young Lords, how did that come about? Well, what happened is a group of uh, Puerto Ricans kept on coming to, I was lecturing on black power. In those days, Charles Hamilton and Stokely Carmichael had written a book called Black Power. Uh, and I had studied it. And so I read it, internalized it, and began to teach it. Um, I, I saw Puerto Ricans coming up to the law. We had a loft on 125th Street between 5th and Madison. Um, and I noticed very few Puerto Ricans had traveled up that far to come see, come to a class. And my class was conducted like a college class. I was in Queens College at the time. And I conducted my lectures as if it were a college uh, lecture, um, complete with tests and everything. And sure enough, uh, I see Puerto Ricans come in and I say, well, this is, this is different. And um, they, after the lecture, I had spoken on, I had done a thing on Thus Spake Zarathustra, who was one of my, what's one of my favorite um, Nietzsche um, compositions. Um, Nietzsche is a, a German philosopher who's phenomenal, by the way. So after the, uh, after the lecture, they came to me and said, we, want, we would like you to think about joining us. I said, joining you for what, man? Well, we're starting a group called uh, the Sociedad de Albizu Campos. And uh, Carl, you're not going to believe this. The hawks are coming. They're flocking. It's unbelievable. As I'm talking to you, they're flocking across the building. That means that I'm being blessed right now. So I said, uh, I don't really want to join any group, uh, especially a Puerto Rican group. And this is not self-hate, brothers. But I don't feel that Puerto Ricans are willing to fight for what they believe in. I believe in the independence of Puerto Rico. I'm willing to put my, my life on the line for that. But I don't see you guys doing that. I don't see our community fighting to defend themselves. And in those days, we were serious about armed struggle. I said, so I'm going to take a pass on this. I don't think, I, you know, I, I don't want to be fighting by myself. Uh, remember, the Panthers uh, were already in existence. They had already had gun battles. The Black Liberation Army was out. SDS, the white guys were fighting. We had a... Um, it was a tremendous uh, era of defiance and self-defense. And I didn't feel the, young, uh, the, the people, this, these guys, the Sociedad de Abiso Blue or Young Lords yet, I didn't believe these guys were capable of fighting for themselves. So um, I told them I'll pass. When they left, um, Guy Lynn Kane, one of the uh, founders of the, of the uh, Last Poets, came and said, what were they talking about? I said, they want me to join some group. He said, and he listened to me carefully as to define what they wanted me to do. They wanted me to be part of a group in East Harlem that would begin to look at the power relationships and change them and fight against them. So he looked at me, put his eyes down, then looked at me again, put his eyes down. He said, Felipe, he said, Philip, you got to go. I had already changed my name to Felipe. Uh, everybody else was making, taking, making their names into African names. I said, why don't I just make it Hispanicize it, which I did. Um, and he said, you, you, it's time for you. They're coming for you. This is the time for you to leave. I said, time for me to leave? What are you talking about, Kane? This is my, this is my, these are my people. I'm staying here. I'm a black man. He said, I understand that. 
But when they're coming for you, your community is coming to ask for your services in East Harlem. You've got to serve, brother. You can't stay here ensconced in love and nationalism. Your people are asking you to contribute your skills to the movement of Puerto Rican independence, and you're staying here reading poetry. That's not where it's at. And Amiri Baraka had taught us, bless his soul, that if poems are not bullets, then they're not poems. You've got to do something with that. Sure enough, uh, he caused me to rethink my strategy. And um, I ended up going to the Sociedad del Rizu Campo, listening to what these guys were saying. And, uh, and Rap Brown was another one. Rap Brown, I don't know how many of you remember him. He's now called El Jamil uh, El uh, Jamil Al Amin. Jamil El Amin, yeah. So he was Rap Brown at the time. And I followed him like a puppy dog. I loved him so much. Um, this man was brave, courageous, and very smart. And um, J- uh, Jamil Alamid, yeah. And I, I, uh, I followed him too. And he would come to the loft all the time. So I, got, I was so upset because before the decision to join this Sociedad de Luis Campos, which eventually became the Young Lords Party, I went to Rap and I said, Rap, I don't like this feeling I'm having. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be with these folks. They don't. They don't really uh, motivate me. And so he said, come with me to, I'm going to uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I went with Rap. We traveled across the country to Baton Rouge. And I saw things that I had never seen before. I saw octoroons and mulattoes and quadroons and people in a basketball game, in a football game. And they were greeting each other. I thought they were white. I said, I wish, I told Rap, man, this is beautiful. Uh, we have America as it should be. Hold that thought right there, Philippe. We're going to hang another quick break. I'll let you finish your thought when we come back. And Sister Sabrina's right. got a question for you as well. Family, our guest is Felipe Luciano. He's written a book called Flesh and Spirit, Confessions of a Young Lord. And it's, it's, it's a deep book, as you can tell how descriptive it is. It's well written as well. We'll be back in four minutes, though, after we check the traffic and weather in your different cities. We're right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOLB. Where information is power. And good morning once again, family. And thanks for rolling with us on this hump day. A minute after the top of the hour with our guest, Felipe Luciano. And Felipe, the floodgates have opened. There's people who want to talk to you, got questions for you, got tweet questions for you. So we, hopefully we can do it as quickly as possible. If it's, if those who are posing the questions, make them short. And Felipe, if you can shut up on the answer, I'd appreciate it. And Dr. B, thank you for yielding some of your time. Dr. B is our schedule next guest. So we, we can get all these folks who want to talk to Felipe. Let's start with line four, though. First, Wayne is calling us from New York City. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Felipe. How Wayne are you, brother? Gilman, a blast from the past. Wayne, how are you, brother? I haven't seen you in all, all right. years, man. How you doing, man? I know. I'm hanging in here, man. I'm hanging in here. I'm still on the air. I should say I'm back on the air after a long absence. And I want to get a are, What station are you on? I'm on WBLS, and I also do, I, I just do filling on BLS. And I also do a podcast for the Our World Media Network. And right I'd like on. to get a number for you so I could have, uh, have you on the air. Yes, by all means. I'd love to. Wayne Gilman, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the um, black men who really appreciates different cultures. He was always very friendly for the Puerto <laughs> Rican community. And he didn't allow color classification to keep him from establishing Hispanic Latino friends. 
Um, a lot of us as black people, we think, well, that guy is white. He is. We're not. We have different hues as black people are. We have high yellows. We have octoroons. We have, we have all of that. So don't let that keep you from establishing a relationship with Latinos. I say the same thing to Latinos. I was raised in the arms of a Geechee woman, a Catherine Keel. She was my second mother. So I grew up with love. I grew up with black love. The reason that I am, I say I'm an Afro-Latino, I'm an Afro-Puerto Rican, is because black people didn't hit me over the head, you got to be black. They just loved on me. And to this day, my feeling for black people is, is infinite. It is, I believe black people are, are well, brought here to heal. I believe we're the, we're the original aliens. We're the original folks. We're space people. And what we need to do is begin to take some of that love and spread it. And we can do that with love and faith. Yeah. Luis, I just want to say one thing quickly, man. I admire your tenacity, Carl. I've known this man since I started out in the business. And I've tried to emulate him. I'm a little younger than he is. But, I, you know, the thing is, your tenacity, your longevity, I, I really appreciate this. And as I said, if we can get a public number for you, It'll be deeply appreciated. I'll tell you what, I'll get to that number for you, Wayne. I'll get that number for you, Felipe. I'll pass it on to you. Okay, right. okay very good. Thanks, yeah. Wayne. And, I, and of course, that's Wayne Gilman. So some folks in New York know he was the uh, news director over at uh, WBLS back in the day. Uh, actually started two weeks before I did the uh, Felipe. So we go way back as well. But I've got some more people oh, want to talk to you. Four minutes sure. out of the top. Uh, Sabrina, Sister Sabrina's calling from Washington, D.C. She's on line one. Sister Sabrina, your question for Felipe. Oh, wow. As you all were talking, it came up with more and more questions. So I'm going to try to be very brief in respect to all the listeners. Uh, thanks so very much for the um, the show and um, and Felipe for your work with the community and struggle. The same thing with you, Carl, as well too. Um, how I knew of with young lords without what clearly were doing political prisoners, and um, the main I remember ever since you know, oh well going way back when. About with the issue, I'm, I'm just going to just uh, say with Zekis, if you can talk on that and where, where how it stands uh, today. Um, and I, I knew the young lords uh, all, uh, also with the almighty Latin kings and queens, mm-hmm. and who very put issue uh, on uh, uh, on uh, many things or whatever. You know, the newer generation. I guess that would have been in the 90s, 80s. Uh, with with them, and I remember with one um, that the the New York uh, put him in the jail, and I went up to see him, see him off on June 25th, and he said how appreciative and he he more than gracious about the the support that the young lords gave him, you know, and the community of that. And then through the years, many people that right. really and know. And do us a favor, so Sister Brian, put in a question for him so, so uh, that Felipe can respond. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We got some more folks okay. trying to get at him. Oh, the main thing was about uh, VA case because that was a critical issue. What, what has happened with it today? Thank you. Well, before we get into Vickers, let me just tell you right now that Fred Hampton was the person who brought everybody together in what is the original Rainbow Coalition. Fred brought together young white boys from Appalachia called the Young Patriots. He brought together the Young Lords, and he brought together the Black Panthers. That is an incredible feat. They had to kill him because he was bringing people together in ways that were unimaginable before he came on the scene. Um, it was he who got Chacha Jimenez, the founder of the Young Lords Party, to decide not to fight against each other. They were fighting other Puerto Rican gangs and killing each other. And it was Fred who got us together. And I thank God for him. Unfortunately, he was killed because they knew how powerful he was. They knew the charisma, the beauty, the blessings that this man had. Um, the Vieques question is one that we should take as a historical lesson. Vieques is an island to the east of uh, San Juan, the east of it. And um, it was being used by the Navy as a bombing place, they would use uh, they, they would test their bombs there, um, and we the the bombs were laced with titanium. So a lot of people were getting cancer. A lot of people would you couldn't swim in the waters. It was that bad, and so the people from Vieques were basically fishermen. Um, were, were rising up. They're saying this is impossible. Why are you continuing to bomb our island? And they would find a place apart from the population, but the cancer rates were surging in that area. So everybody decided to vote to go against Vieques. And eventually we fought, we fought, we fought until President Clinton was able to release uh, Vieques from the hold of the Navy. And it is now uh, an independent island. Of course, it's still related to Puerto Rico, but it, uh, they were able to free Vieques from the Navy. And that was a major victory for us. All right. Let me jump in here with a tweet question for you. Tweeter says, this is G, Brother G says, can you ask your guest about how Dr. Matula Shakur and the Young Lords Alliance was created? Also, what impact did Dr. Shakur have on his organization? Asante, Brother Greg. Well, first of all, Matula Shakur, uh, who's still active uh, and comes to all the Puerto Rican affairs, um, is, uh, is a major icon in our area. Um, there's a group, uh, a thing here we call um, the People's Church. We had taken over a church because the church wasn't serving the needs of the people. And we took it over. It was the first Spanish Methodist church. Uh, and we, we went in and we told them we wanted to do a breakfast program based on the Black Panther method uh, and their methodology of feeding, serving the people. So we decided to have a breakfast program. We went in there and we took over the church. They broke my arm in two places, beat me up pretty badly. Um, and, but we were able, two weeks later, to take over the church, which means that even if you are thwarted in your dreams, don't stop. Continue moving forward because yours is the victory. And Tula Shakur comes out of the Shakur family. Of course, all of us know about Tupac, but there's Athene, there's Zaid, who died in a shootout on the New Jersey Turnpike, who gave me my first Ankh, gave me my first Tashiki. Um, so Amtulu is loved by us. We just love him. He comes over all the time and, uh, and just is so loving uh, and so militantly loving. Now, militant love is another kind of thing. It's not just being militant. It's being able to love people from different cultures and saying, I want to serve you. So we, we adore him. We really do. All right. One final question for you. Did white people try to divide you from American blacks? They always, this is nothing new. Divide and conquer is what the United States has been doing since they started telling Native Americans they shouldn't be with blacks. 
it was black people and Native Americans who fought in the Seminole Wars uh, in the uh, 1700s. Andrew Jackson went down there to uh, because it was a, 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 a fugitive law where any black who had run away and ran to the Seminole tribes in the Everglades could be caught and sent back. And Osceola was the chief of the Seminoles at that time. By the way, they were never defeated. That's one war that they, the United States never won. Um, and so the, the energy of the black folk, the ingeniousness of the, uh, of the Native Americans, uh, created a, a, a warlike situation where they just fought and fought and fought in the other ways and were able to keep it back. What happened is that Osceola, Andrew Jackson goes up to Osceola and he says, listen, we want all of the blacks that you have in your tribe. He says, so you're saying you, you want to include my wife? My wife is black. I'm not giving her up. And that was the end of that. Um, we have a tremendous history between us. By the way, 95%, 85%, I should uh, amend that, of all black people have Native American blood in them. That means Crazy Horse, City Bull, Rain in the Face, all of those uh, great chieftains, uh, Geronimo, all of them, we have that in our blood. And we should remember that as we move into organizing all cultures. Uh, white folks have always tried to divide us. And what they tried to do is tell white Puerto Ricans that they were white. Because in those days, one drop of white blood made you white. But they, did, they did this in the Caribbean, where they would say, if your mother, if your father if your father's a racist and he raped your mom, your child will be better off. So don't, don't get mad at us. You know, we're doing you a favor. Can you imagine that? So, folks, it is, uh, they did try to divide us. We didn't allow it. We continued to teach black history. We continued to teach Puerto Rican history. And we made them one. Right. Flesh, spirit, confessions of a young lord. How can we get the copies of the book, Felipe? Uh, you can call Amazon. There are two places you can get them at. Uh, Fordham University Press, number one, and uh, write to them uh, and call them and ask them for the book. And there's also uh, Amazon. You can pick it up on Amazon. In fact, they've had, they're, they're running out of them. They've got so many requests for books. Um, people, I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to be more than. I think this book is important. I think it's important to create pride um, for young black men, pride for young black women. I believe that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I was listening to Kathy Hughes uh, give that little speech right before we were on the air about the need to believe in spirit. In the end, it's spirit that will keep us going. We can't just depend on ideology. We can't depend on, on, on economics. And I know Chicago is a major economic town, the Johnson Publishing Company, the Nation of Islam. There's so many great, and I know all of them, um, there's so many great things that have happened in Chicago. It is the middle of America. I'm, I'm waiting for Chicago to rise again, and I know it will. If you get enough black visionaries, enough Puerto Rican uh, visionaries, enough Mexican uh, visionaries, we will be able to move this country to a new level of democracy, and we are being threatened with that right now. Yeah, we got to have we continue this this conversation later, uh, Felipe. We'll come back. We'll talk about the changing demographics in New York City and in and in Chicago as well, and also your radio days. Uh, uh, most folks know is that uh, you know the iconic uh, Felipe Luciano working on WBLS. We'll talk about that as well. How you have that started and and the, and the issues you had working there. You know, we talked about them offline. Yeah, that, but, that was yeah. incredible. I, I was <laughs> under the great great uh, program director named Frankie Crocker. I had right. the privilege and the blessing to be under him. So I learned a lot from him. And I have a radio program where I play Latin music, and I learned all my techniques from Frankie Crocker. So folks will want to listen to you, uh, uh, Felipe. W what station are you on now? It's on WBAI 99.5 uh -huh. on the FM dial here in New York City, WBAI 
You can get it on uh, on on your computer, WBAI.org, and you can hear my shows. I'm on Thursdays from 7 to 8 in the morning, uh, like you, Carl, and I have to get people up early uh, to have them interview me uh, or have me interview them. And then there's the Saturday show uh, on um, uh, WBAI. It's from 2 to 4. And, and if I say so myself, it is bad. I mean, we play the best Latin music in America. Tito Puente, Machito, Ray Barreto, Eddie Palmieri, Willie Colon, you name it, we play it. And we do well. We play Cuban music and Brazilian music as well. I love doing the show. Yeah. And we'll talk about that next time, you know, about the, the energy, the synergy between black and Puerto Ricans on the radio as well, when you're on the air uh, as well. We talk about that with all, you know, some radio talk, inside radio talk next time we have you. But we got to run out of here. Felipe, thank you. Thank you for sharing this book with us. And, and one quick thing I just want to add. I think somebody should pick this up and, and really put this on the screen. This is an incredible story, your life story. Well, thank you very much. I pray to God that some movie company does it and does it well. I don't want a caricature. I don't want a cartoon. Uh, We want to show the story of black and brown in a way that inspires. Remember, we are the space people. I'm still right. waiting for these aliens to see a black alien. I mean, they keep on talking right. about these aliens. We, we got to cut it there. We're running late. We got to take a quick break here, Felipe. Thank okay. you. Thank you for sharing your time with us this morning. Family, we'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. It's after the top of the hour. I got to thank Dr. B, Dr. B, for ceding some of his time. So there were so many calls for Felipe. People figured out who he was towards the end of the show. That happens all the time, though. Dr. B, good morning. Good day. Good day. How are you? Excellent. How about yourself? Amazing. Phenomenal. And family, those of you who don't know, Dr. B is a metaphysician, also a master herbalist. Dr. B, you know, Thursday, winter solstice. Can you explain the significance of the winter solstice? Well, that day is, uh, actually, it's the 20th, which is today, the 21st, and the 22nd. It's a three-day event, but we normally look at it as a one-day event because a lot of our, you know, powerful movements take three days to actually happen. And this is when the sun is at its lowest point in the sky if you're in the northern hemisphere. So the sun, they say it stops. It looks like it stops. So solstice means sun stops. But at this particular time, it energizes something in us that we didn't have almost all year. Because inside of us, we have an inner sun called the solar plexus, which is the largest bundle of nerves in the body. It actually glows. It's a sun inside of us, and it's in our gut. So we have more nerve endings, more neurons in our gut than we even have in our brain. And at this particular time, all the energy that we've stored throughout the year especially during the summer months, is stored in the solar plexus. So when the sun hits the lowest point on the horizon, on the solstice, it shifts our inner sun into glowing. We begin to become a ball of light, a bundle of light. And light is information. So the information that we've gathered is actually online and available at the solstice. It's a shift. It's like a time of renewal. It's like a wake-up call. It's when the, the deepest parts of our spirit and our soul are more available for us to use for more wisdom, for more consciousness. It depends on how we're living, what we're thinking, and what we're doing at this time. 
But if you have your mind aligned with nature, and if you follow nature, and if you follow the movements of the sun and the, uh, and the different uh, celestial objects, what happens is, is we have this power and this energy that we can use that's available once we're aware of what's happening. So the solstice is a time when the sun seems to stop. They used to say the sun died. And then, you know, three days later, which is on the 25th, the sun was born again. The new sun is born. So this is partially where they got, where they kind of put Christmas and merged these things together. But this is a powerful time for us. And we have to be very careful what we're thinking, what we're doing, what we're eating at this time, because that's when we kind of get off. Because the solstice can set the rhythm or the angle or the direction that we're going to move in for the next year. All right, let me jump in here at 24 after the time for the hour. Uh, Dr. B, uh, Dr. Renoka Rashidi, one of your friends, always tells us that we are the children of the sun. The sun's our, our, our friend, not our enemy. And he always says what we should do, and, and for the folks living in Chicago, Detroit, New York, Boston, Baltimore, D.C., listening to us right now, uh, he, uh, Dr. Renoka says we should live closer to the equator because we are children of the sun. I want to get your thoughts on, on the, what Dr. Renoka Rashidi talked about. Well, it, it, it's a fact that we come from around the equator, originally, all around the equator. And when the sun is at its closest point to the earth, which is around the equator, you know, we are energized because we're biophoton people. We are able to take light and turn it into electricity. We turn light into electricity, which gives us energy. When we are sun-charged, when we are uh, being illuminated by the energy of the sun, we're more focused. Our, 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 our mitochondria, which are the, the, the parts of our cells that generate energy, are stronger. And we're clearer when we're closer to the equator. So a lot of us, you know, we don't live near the equator. What do we do? Well, this is where vitamin D3 comes in. Because vitamin D3 can take the sun that you do have, right, and it can magnify it so that your body can use it. Because it's all about energy. It's all about electricity, you see. But if you are not near the equator and you do things like get as much actual sunlight, even if it's not as strong as the equator is possible, and use vitamin D3, it's going to help you. But also what you eat has a lot to do with sunlight. What you eat. If you're eating food that has very little electricity or has very little light in it, then you're, you're weakened. You know, our systems become weak because it is the light, it's the biophoton, you know, activity that we have that gives us, you know, our power. So we don't feel so, you know, like a victim. A lot of people, they have the victim archetype because of the, we don't have enough sun to break free. And the sun does help us break free mentally, spiritually, and, you know, physically. It's about the sun. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, that Renoko talked about, too, you know, some people in our community, they love to go skiing. They go to Aspen. You know, they love the snow. They, 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 they just can't wait for it to snow. And looking back, <laughs> Dr. Fox teaches about addicted to white. Are they on the wrong plane for black people to to have those? Because you know, people, if you grow up like, you, like when you're young, you grow up in in, in the cold climbs. That's what, that's all you know, and and you see you see folks going skiing, snowboarding, and that. You, you want to do that? Is that part of the addiction to white, or, or are they on the right track? And and or does it does it even matter for a black person? See, when you go beyond this physical thing. 
you begin to realize that we're connected to everything and we can do everything. Everything comes from us. And if we say we are going to be powerful people again, which we at any moment can be, we have to transmute the idea of what we don't have and move towards what we do have. If you focus most of your time on what you don't have, that circle becomes bigger and bigger. If you focus on what you do have, that circle becomes bigger and bigger. So let's say you're out, you're in the snow and you're skiing, you're doing all these things that we say aren't originally ours, but that can be argued. When you realize that you have a sun within you, there's a sun within you. And when you energize that, even though you're further away from the sun in the sky, you become the sun. You become illuminated. We can do anything. It's about transmutation. It's about the point of view. It's about the perspective that we have. So if we think that we're weakened because of something, we become weakened. If we think and feel that something is empowering us, it can. It has to do with how we create the light within. See, we're like a lighthouse. See, the lighthouse sends out information. That's what a lighthouse is. It's sending out basically Morse code, the Morse code. And that Morse code is blinking on the horizon or blinking every day on the shore to give guidance to the ships. When we realize that we have to be sending out the light every moment of every day, then we are really truly living because a lot of times we're waiting for the light. We're waiting to be saved, waiting for somebody to do for this for us and waiting for people to give us these rules and laws and waiting to be selected and elected. And what happens is, is we become weak because now we're victims. We're not victims of the light being farther from us. We're only victims if we're not using the light within. We are the light. That's why, you know, with the darker skin, you know, with melanin, you're able to hold the light like a battery. You see, even though the battery is away from the charger, right, as long as it has an electrical charge, it can still what? turn on your phone, turn on your radio. We are the light. We could go anywhere and do anything. This whole place is ours. So, yes, we'd be more charged if we have more light near the, near the, uh, the, the equator, right? But because we're not near the equator, we have to use more of our internal light. And we have that power. We just have to put our minds on what we do have. We're very, very powerful people. We're space people. We don't even come from here. We're travelers. And we come here to do certain things. We have certain things to do for a certain amount of time. This is like a temporary bus stop. But wherever we go, we're supposed to bring the light, bring the love, bring whatever it is we desire and stop waiting to get to a place to get something from the place we're at. Be the thing when you get to the place. You have to become the gift. All right, 29 after the top of the hour. Dr. B is our guest, the family. You'd like to join this discussion with Dr. B. Hit us up at 800-450-7876. Dr. B, uh, melanin. If some of us brothers and sisters who are melanin challenged, uh, does that affect them as well? Do they have to work harder to make these changes? Well, see, melanin is, everybody has melanin. Everybody, you can't live without melanin. Okay, so... Yeah, you do have people who don't have as much melanin at the skin level. So, yes, there may be more inner work that a person needs to do and eat more foods that are dark, more foods that are green and leafy. That helps a lot. But if we think that it's just the physical skin color that's giving us the power, 
It is the mental mindset that gives us the power because everything is made of the same thing. This is, I mean, everything is made of the same stuff. I don't care how, what you look at, a table, a chair, a tree, we're all made of the same stuff, the same type of, you know, makeup. It's how it's arranged. It's how you think. It's how you feel, how you act, how you walk that creates the outcome. So even though you may not physically have as much melanin, if you have as much color in your soul, much move, you know, more movement in your walk and in your talk, if you're focused more on goals, focus on what you do have and you suck that in from the universe. So some, like I say, a lot of people feel it's a physical thing. I don't have this. And if you notice, like, you know, some folks don't have certain abilities. Some people are non-sighted. Some people, you know, can't hear like we do. But they, there's another ability comes online when you don't have something. And I still swear to this day that Stevie back in the day, I'm like, man, he walk up to me and grab me. Hey, Dr. B. I mean, how'd you even know I was even in the room? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he's using these other abilities. You see, it's deep the way where our body compensates. When you understand the law of compensation, everything is connected to its opposite. So what you don't think you have, you can gain based on your mindset. But what happens, Carl, is that we get caught up in the rhythm of the Western world. We get caught in the rhythm that came from Europe. We get caught up in some of these holidays that they created that actually are some of them are holy days where we're supposed to be in a certain place at a certain time doing sacred things in a sacred way that we forgot about. Right. Now hold that thought right there, Dr. B. We've got to take a short break here. When we come back, I want you to explore that as well. And also what you just said, maybe and maybe answer this question, that it may explain why we have a Clarence Thomas who's heavily melanated, but still doesn't think like the rest of us. Maybe you can explain his issue as well for us as well. 26 minutes away from the top there, our guest is Dr. B. Dr. B is a metaphysician. He's also a master herbalist. He's also a musician. He wears many hats. You got a question you'd like to speak to Dr. B, hit us up at 800-450-7876 your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. A physician, a master herbalist, he'd like to speak to Dr. B. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Before we go back to you, let me just remind you, tomorrow, I guess, include Professor Menu Ampin. Professor Ampin is out of Contra Costa College in California. He's the one who discovered the Willie Lynch letter was a fake. And also, uh, Grio, Professor James Small will be here. He's going to talk about some of the Christmas rituals as well. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight, real tight, on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Dr. B, before you connect the dots with, with the the season that we're in now, Clarence Thomas, explain to us, uh, you know, this brother's heavily melanated, but seems to be on a different plane. You mentioned Stevie being on a different plane than most of us, and that's quite true. Tom, but Clarence Thomas, how do you explain him? Can you? See, the mindset of what we call blackness, and color, all of these things have been twisted. We agreed that black is beautiful. Black is supposed to be better. The darker the berry, the better the fruit or the better the juice, sweeter the juice, whatever it is. A lot of people, because of 
how should I say this? When a person has been abused, they tend to become abusive even to themselves. When people have been oppressed, they will even they will even protect their oppressor or begin to oppress themselves based on the idea of oppression. So oppressed people over time will either become oppressive many times or begin to oppress themselves. If you were born under this mindset of what colors are better, what darker and taller is, and you get these perspectives, you get twisted if you're not always doing course corrections. 90% of every journey is course correction. You realizing what's going on, realizing you're off course, and getting back on course. Some people who were born with darker skin feel that it's a problem because that's been programmed in them, in them for so long, that dark is bad, black is bad. Look up black in the dictionary. You know, it's bad. So they will tend to try to act more white or more light. Why? Because they're embarrassed or they want to prove and overachieve, right, and prove to the oppressor that they're like the oppressor. So a lot of them begin to talk, and I know a lot of people who talk like that, and they get rid of their lips, and they get rid of all their soul, and they don't even dance the same anymore because they want to prove to the oppressor that they're like them. See, this is a mindset. This is how, you know, a lot of people don't realize that they're, they're involved in, you know, a chronic servitude syndrome. Chronic servitude syndrome is when you feel you're supposed to be a servant because you were born serving. You were born under the foot of other people. So now you want to prove to the people who you've been under that you're okay. It's okay. I'm all right. I'm harmless. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, like the rest of those people. I'm different. So you go against your own people so that you can be included with the people that you think are winning. We always want to be a part of the winner. So when you're oppressed, you begin to take on some of the oppressor's ways by acting and trying to be a winner also and doing some of the things that were done during oppression. But what we don't realize is that sometimes the oppression or the pressure or what we've been through is actually making us better if we have that point of view and we're doing the course correction. Take a diamond. A diamond starts off as dark. It's black. It's coal. It starts off as oil, actually, and then it turns into coal. It's the pressure in the heat, in the trial, in the tribulation, which is a type of alchemy, which makes that thing become a diamond. If we begin to look at what we've been through, right? And we say, okay, yeah, it's been rough. It's been terrible. It's been, it's been, it's been it's the, some of the worst uh, uh, experiences that, that any people may have ever had and turn that into power. Like it's like composting. Take what you call trash and the drama and begin to do the course correction and use it as your power because now you've got these experiences that you can use to take you to the next level. But you have to get to this point where you have to say, well, I'm no longer a victim. Because when you look at like a Clarence Thomas or people who are, who are like that, right, a lot of them are victims and they have a victim archetype and they want to now act victorious. So they want to do what they feel they need to do so that the massa will accept them. 
They're going to very, you know, try to be very intelligent, use a lot of words and act in, in such a way where, you know, my intelligence and my words are going to raise me above my darkness. When we don't realize that it is the darkness, right, that like the Mother Earth, it's dark. It's about that, that darkness, right, that you're able to pull in more light. This whole thing, Carl's got to do with light. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This whole thing has got to do with light, not just what you call light in the skin, light and dark. It has to do with the light of the world, the light of the universe. It's about becoming enlightened. It's about using information because light is information to actually raise us up. But some people are programmed. They're like what I call government agents, right? And they don't even know. A lot of people don't even know. They weren't, you know, trying to be a government agent. But they're so programmed so deeply that they will oppress themselves, oppress others because of the oppression that they've been with. You see, because they will even protect their oppressor, because that's the world, that's what they see. That's their environment. Instead of learning to take whatever we have and maximize the minimum, if you feel like you have a little, it's like my grandmother. You know, a lot of our grandmothers, they could take just a a little bit of rice and a little bit of beans and feed the whole family. Because they were alchemists. They were looking at the possibility. Take what you do have. Yes. We've been through pain. We've been through sorrow. We've been through struggle. We have. And many of us are still going through that. But when you break free, and if you can break free from that, that's when you become totally free. They can't be broken. Look at Nelson Mandela. Look, I mean, he was in, 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 in solitude and in darkness for how many years? And he came out with more power. How did he come out and take over and become the president and change South Africa? After being oppressed, depressed, repressed, and enslaved and in darkness and in prison for all those years because he went into deep meditation. He was able to do alchemy and transformation and transmutation and take the light that he had within him and build that light. When we're able to do that, when we're able to rise above our conditions or our perceived conditions, because this is just the physical thing that we're going through right now. We don't realize that with this physical avatar, this body is just, it's just like a television set. It's not the signal. The signal that we have has been coming from the universe. We're all thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, all of us. So we have to be able to rise above our conditions. And what's really interesting, Carl, have you noticed that a lot of the freedom of the freedom fighters have been light-skinned. A lot of the most powerful freedom, not all of them, a lot of them are light. It seems like it would be the other way around, right? But what happens is when you begin to rise above your skin color and you begin to use the color of your soul, when you begin to use the power within you 
you rise above any condition, any state of mind. And that's what we're going to have to do. Because if we stay victims, right, and we vote victim crap, I mean, they got the victim convention you can go to now. You get, it's just, you know, people meet and they want to talk about their victimhood and their trauma, and they become best friends because they live in trauma. And that's all you talk about is trauma. So you become traumatic. And what may start out as a mood, right? You may have an issue that's a mood. And then all of a sudden you've had this mood now for 28 days. That mood becomes a temperament. Now, if you keep a temperament for three months, you become temperamental and that becomes your character. We have to learn to transmute the energy. It's not easy. I'm not saying this is easy. Because a lot of us want to just talk about the problem. We can't ever get out of the problem. If we stay there, we have to look towards the solution. And the solution is light. The light of our thought, the light that's coming through the sky, the light of our spirit, the light of our soul, and become enlightened. But you can only get to enlightenment by becoming endarkened. Everything is connected to its opposite. And every one of these holidays, especially these ones in the solstice and the, uh, the, uh, the, the equinoxes, have to do with light. This whole Christmas thing, we're going to get into that in a minute. It's got to do with light. They call it the season of light. It's the time when we have to begin to use the light, the true information that we have, because we're billions and billions of light years old traveling on light waves. All right. Nine away from the top. I'll come on break soon, but I want you to get into that, though. How can we use the light in this particular season? Well, so we know that today and tomorrow and and for this time period, the sun is the furthest from us. But the sun all year long has been charging up the battery in our gut called the solar plexus. So the solar plexus gives us light in the cold or in the winter, in the darker months. See, everything has a balance. Every, you know, the universe and the, everything is looking for homeostasis to create balance. So there is a balance. We do have light within us. That light within us is begging to what? Emit, to glow, to do something. We have to use it, right? So when the sun hits the equator, If we're living out of rhythm with nature, then you're eating foods that are sucking out your light. A lot of foods, they just absorb all the natural light codes, all the natural electricity that's in those foods. And if you look at this season, you look what people, what are people going to start eating? What is the Christmas meal? What are they going to eat? Most people are eating foods that eat them, food that suck their life force out. Why is heart attack, right, the number one illness of winter? Because the heart needs electricity. The heart needs light. It needs energy. It needs voltage. Food, depending on what it is, is either going to give you electricity or it's going to suck out your electricity. If you begin to eat foods and have activities during the winter which give you more light, for instance, greens, green vegetables, dark green vegetables, They all have a lot of light. That's why they're green, because they sucked up light and they're holding the light in what you call chlorophyll, right, in their their flesh. Those greens are going to give you electricity. If you're eating certain animals, 
right? If you eat animals that eat animals, or animals, I should say, as this gets deep, I be careful with this. I get in trouble here. I tell you what, hold that thought right there, Doctor B. We take a quick break and uh, it, that you can re- reorganize again and take us again. I think this is really important what you're getting ready to touch on. Eight hundred four five zero seventy eight seventy six. You want to speak to our guest? He's a metaphysician. He's also a master herbalist. He's also a musician as well. His name is Doctor B. If you haven't heard from him, look him up and uh, just Google him, and you'll understand where Doctor B is coming from. Anyway, we'll go take a quick break and take the traffic and weather in our different cities and the news for our listeners in Baltimore. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on ten ten W. OLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Thanks for staying with us, family. It's a minute after the top of the hour with our guest, metaphysician and master herbalist, Dr. B. So Dr. B is, is telling us about the this time of the year and the light and the significance of the light as it applies to the, uh, the solstice and, and this time of the year. So Dr. B, I'm going to let you finish your thought. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So we, at this time of the year, probably eat more of what you call soul food, right? Not all of us, but a lot of us have been programmed to eat soul food because soul food seems to indicate that it's, it's a black food. It's, it's, it's tradition, and it's our tradition on these holidays, which are supposed to be holy days, to come together and to eat the foods that we have traditionally eaten. But the, a lot of the foods that we are traditionally have eaten have been eating us. It was the scraps. It was the leftovers. It was what our ancestors were forced to eat. They had to season it up. They had to take this, you know, this, these bottom foods and try to make them by putting more seasoning on them, right? And to try to make them more palatable. Now, we learn how to do that very well. We can take scraps of anything, right? Black folks can take any scraps and turn it into a whole other situation because we're good with maximizing the minimum, taking the little bit that we have and making a lot. The challenge here is, is that the food all has light. Depending on whatever it is, it's made of light, Everything is made of these light particles, but the heavier light, the darker light, right? The light that has more weight, right? Sometimes can hold us down. So let's take oil. Oil holds on to electricity. Oil holds electricity. So in electronics, we use these things called capacitors and capacitors hold on to electricity until it's needed later. Right. There's different viscosities, different weights of oil that holds on to electricity for different you know, times. If you're eating oils, a lot of heavy oils at this food that your body cannot break down, 
then they suck the light, the life force, the electricity out of your body so you don't have as much energy because your body's spending all of its day attempting to break something down. Let's say you have your nice piece of steak. When you put that steak in the pan, right, it cooks in the pan, and when you pull it out the pan and it cools down to room temperature, guess what happens? You have this white substance, the same thing with lamb. What is that white substance? That's wax. That's oil that has you know, has, has thickened and coagulated at room temperature into a wax. Your body is 98.6 degrees. To take the animal flesh and, and to cook it and to get the oil to solidify, it's got to be up around at least 150, 200 degrees or more. But your body's only 98.6. So when you eat those oils, when you eat that animal like that, what happens is, is the wax solidifies in your blood vessels, in your arteries. This is why this time of year we have so many people having heart attacks because their arteries become clogged because they're eating things that are waxy. Do you know the number one food oil consumed during the holiday season, Carl? No idea. What is it? Crisco. Crisco. Crisco oil is the world's champion of oil at this time of year. Even though, you know, we're conscious now, we're awake, we still traditionally will use that Crisco. It's something about Crisco. And I started looking at Crisco, and I looked at the can. I went and bought a can lately so I could look at it, so I could study it. First of all, it's white. Why is the oil white? Well, how many oils are white besides, like, coconut oil, right? It's bright white, which means they've bleached it and played with it. And it has one interesting ingredient. T-B-H-Q. Now, you know when they start just giving you letters, not giving you the word, there's an issue. You need to go study that. T-B-H-Q. T-B-H-Q is an ingredient that they use in a lot of oils, especially in fast food and a lot of things you buy in the grocery store, right, which preserves the oil so it doesn't smell and look bad or rancid. It doesn't look rotten. See, oils break down after they've been used a lot. What this does is that if they call it a preservative to preserve the oil, to make the oil still look like it's viable. Oil, right, it sucks light into it. It, it holds on to the electricity, right, and it's going to cause you to have less energy. The TBHQ is so toxic that if you ate one gram of TBHQ, you die. You mean this is legal? It's legal to put a little TBHQ in your oil. Crisco, right? They, they, they own a lot of companies that you don't think is Crisco, but it's still Crisco. Crisco has a lot to do, and you look at it symbolically, it has to do with Christ. Chris, when you see Chris, your mind says Christ. And it's got a little, the eye it's like a, it, you look at it and it's, it looks like an eye, but it looks like it has a drop of oil, which is the dot over the eye. But actually, that's also a candle, which represents the pineal. The pineal gland, right, has a lot to do with your intuition, has a lot to do with your soul and your way your soul and your spirit, you know, animate you and who you truly are. If you're eating oils, that are sucking out your electricity, your pineal gland doesn't come totally online. Because at this time of year, your pineal gland begins to do something really interesting throughout what we call this Christmas holiday season. 
It, it's, this is the most important time for you to gain your soul, to, for you to re, I shouldn't say gain it, for you to rejuvenate your soul and your spirit. But if you're eating food that suck your life force energy and you're struggling to survive, a lot of people are in mild heart attack mode most of the time and don't even realize it. Their, their body is struggling to survive. The oil that's in the food is choking us. Now, if you were using olive oil in a glass, green glass container, olive oil stays liquid at 98.6 degrees. These oils that become liquid, right, at low t- at, at, at the lower temperatures are better. Even coconut oil. Coconut oil doesn't solidify till what, 72 degrees? You see? So coconut oil, the minute you put it in your body, becomes a liquid. It's able, it's, it's, it's able, it flows like a river. And it, 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 it sucks in electricity and makes it available for you. So coconut oil is a good oil to use. But a lot of us at this time are using, because we like oil, because oil is part of the soul food palette. Greasiness. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Soul food is grease, sugar, gluten, and salt. Grease. Sugar, gluten, and salt. Gluten is mostly wheat products, which is glue, which is making you sticky. Most of this glue, most of this gluten is so toxic. A lot of people are having, you know, mild cases of celiac disease. They can't digest anymore because their body is eating this wheat, which is hybridized and created to suck your life force out. We need this bread made out of wheat and everything. I mean, remember we grew up with Wonder Bread. It's a wonder that we lived, Carl, eating Wonder Bread when you found out what it was. It don't even go bad. It didn't even mold. <laughs> you know, the mold didn't even want to be near it. So the soul food diet is the foods, sugar, processed sugar, sucks out your electricity, your electricity shuts down your pineal gland. It has 256 disagreeable effects on your body, white processed sugar, and also brown processed sugar. Then you're putting gluten in your body. Gluten is shutting you down. You're getting high off gluten because gluten creates what they call gluteomorphate, which is a morphine-like substance, so you're getting high off this white bread and even wheat bread, you see? And we got to move to these non, there's a whole bunch of products out now that don't have gluten, gluten-free. Look for gluten-free because the glue is like, you know, what we used to make paper mache back in the day with wheat. We took flour, mixed it up with water, and this glue is sticky, you see? And that's shutting down your gut. That's shutting down your digestion. And remember I said the solar plexus comes online at this particular time of the year. The solar plexus is your inner sun. But if you're shading out the inner sun and you're choking your inner sun with this gluten, and with dairy, dairy is another one. We are not supposed to be eating dairy from cows, at, especially at this time of year. I wouldn't eat it any time because, what, you don't have lactase. That breaks down lactose. People of color don't have it right after the age of five. We can't digest it. And you say, well, you know, I, I, I do it. It's okay. I don't notice any problem. Well, you do later when you get arthritis and heart disease and kidney disease and diabetes and all these things is the later onset effect. It's an after effect of you eating this stuff all your life that's been eating you. So the holiday right meal is the one that's actually killing us. Until you do the transmutation and the change, you say, look, we're going to eat a healthy meal. We're not going to eat those things that represent struggle and pain that actually suck our life force. We're going to have food that's going to give us life. So we're eating more greens. We're eating more gluten-free things. We're eating more of a vegetarian or vegetable-based 
you know, or roots. Roots are very good at this particular season because the root vegetables, which are in season, eat in season, those are holding on to light life force because they picked it up from the sky, from their leaves, right, from the sun all year, and they store it in the roots. Root vegetables are very, very good. And you could make a very good holiday meal if you're still going to do these particular holidays, right, so that they don't make you want to holler, right? You're going to need to put some life force and do something healthy. When the sun is low in the sky, which it is at this particular point, you need more light generated by you. So your food has to be food that has, its store, has stored light, or you're going to have to make sure you're drinking a lot of water, doing things that make you feel stronger instead of things that weaken you. But we become depressed a lot of times because the sun is low in the sky. You know, there's a lot of depression around this season. Then we're cutting down these trees, man. This is deep, how we cut down these trees, which, I don't, I, you know, this, it gets heavy. I'm going to talk about that on Saturday because I'm doing a free uh, uh, webcast on Saturday about the holiday. So go to ElevationTime.com if you want to check out that free webcast about the holiday. Um, we cut down the trees, the pine tree, which is responsible for oxygen, which is responsible for actually the pine is, oh man, I could talk about pine all day. Pine is something that detoxifies the environment. When you cut it down and you bring it in your house and you put these lights on it because somebody told you that was something holy, which it has nothing to do with that, right? It's totally opposite. I mean, how many people's houses burn down because of this tree in the house? And I'm not sure where I'm not going to get into that. But if you look in your holy book, it's going to tell you, do not bring this tree in the house. Why are we doing it? Because somebody got caught up in the tradition of sucking out your light. If you take the most powerful people in the world and you get them to agree to, 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 to snuff out their own light, and the light, the Christmas tree is a symbol of your nervous system. There's a whole lot of symbols and symbolism in the whole Santa Claus, Christmas, the meal, everything. Once you decode it, there's always a metaphysical side. All right. I'll tell you what, uh, Dr. B, I'm going to let you decode it when we get back. We got to take a quick break, check the traffic and weather. When we got some folks who want to talk to you, we'll talk to them first. Then you can decode some of those symbols in this holiday season for our listeners. Family, you want to join this conversation with Dr. B, hit us up at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top day out with Dr. B. As I mentioned, we got some folks who want to talk to Dr. B. So let's go to line one. Escostia has joined us from Chicago. Escostia, good morning. I'm with Dr. B. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Is there on line one? Uh, Jumbo call, Dr. B. Uh, Dr. B, if I remember correctly, you once said that disease was caused by parasites. Am I correct? It is one of the factors. Uh, dis- parasites are natural creatures which come to eat trash. And we become trash because of what we eat and how we live. But parasites, uh, in, in, when we have a large population of parasites in our body, they begin to eat us. They begin to eat our food, our very best nutrition. So at this particular time, like right now, we just, go, we just went through a new, a new moon, right? The new moon, the parasites start going crazy because they, our body starts emitting serotonin in the new moon. The parasites come out, they get excited by the, paras- by the, by the serotonin, and they begin to eat us. They begin to eat our food. Plus, they also are aware that we're about to eat the most trash of the season. We're about to eat more sugar, which they love sugar. All the foods that they love, we're going to be eating. We're going to be feeding them throughout the season. So, you know, some of the most successful and wise people, they know to fast at this time of the year, to do a cleanse, to detoxify their body, and also that helps them think clearer. What we're doing is we don't realize that we're feeding the enemy. We're feeding. So you might call the parasites the enemy, but we're feeding them. We're not detoxifying from them. And a lot of people don't realize that the parasites that are the most uh, 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 dangerous are what they call systemic parasites. Systemic parasites are parasites that live throughout the system. So there's ones that live in the heart. There's ones that live in the brain. One of the most famous parasites of all is called toxoplasma. It lives in the brain. What it does is it causes you to think differently. It causes you to not live in your natural flow. It causes you to be off rhythm, you see, and it causes you to have fear at times when you should have courage. It causes you to be angry at times when you need to be peaceful and loving. It changes your emotions because when it changes your emotions, that changes the way you digest food. It changes the way you live. It lowers your electrical level and they eat you alive. So parasites are most active in the winter months because that's when we are eating the food and having the activities that are actually feeding them. So, yes, this is the time we should do, you know, a serious systemic parasite cleanse and not just the ones that, you know, clean the colon because most parasite cleanses are for the colon. But ones like, you know, like we created here at ElevationTime.com are the ones that are for detoxifying the, the system, especially at this time of the year when the sun is at its lowest level. When the sun is at its lowest level, unless we've stored our energy, unless we're eating correctly, we lose energy. We lose life force. So we can't even protect ourselves from the things that are actually going to cause us to be weaker at a time when we should be coming stronger. Okay. Now, uh, last week, I think it was, Carl had a guest. And I look for, uh, I, I have a scientific bent where I look for things that agree with each other. And this brother uh, confirmed, I mean, big time confirmed that parasites are like the causes of cancer. Uh, he's he's uh, done research and came up with clinical uh, uh, studies that prove this. 
but that were not produced for the public to see. And when when brothers have ideas and concepts that agree with each other, I take them to be real true. Uh, another thing about factory farming, 97% of the meat that people get comes from factory farms, and an example of that would be like a chicken that lives in a one-square-foot area for its whole lifetime. The chicken has lifetime has been speared up by uh, genetically modified food, and it's genetically modified so that it'll grow real fast. And the chicken is then placed in this broth that's contaminated with feces and processed that way and sold to the public. 97% of the chicken we buy is processed this way. And I got this information from a book, Eating Animals. It said on the average that in the average lifetime, a person eats approximately 21,000 small animals. Uh, this phenomenon uh, has not been advertised. I think we'd have more of our people changing the way they eat if they really knew what was happening with this. And I wanted to um, hang up and listen to your comment. All right. Thank you, Brother Nkosi. I apologize for messing up your name. And and Dr. B, you're talking about Brother Heyru talked about the parasites and cancer. But I'll let you respond to his question. See, once we really look at science for what it is, it gives us a lot of information, right? If you have beings living within you that are living within you, eating your best nutrition, even your herbs and your vitamins, because some people say, I don't have no parasites because I eat herbs and I'm a vegetarian. Everybody has them. The thing is, is that you have to detoxify when the seasons change. Every time the seasons change, our ancestors would detoxify from things like parasites and yeast or fungus or candidiasis. See, it's not just the parasites that's causing it, that a lot of our illness. It's, the, it's also the uh, yeast, the candidiasis, because they, they make a swamp. Parasites they, they, and, and, and this fungus or this yeast, they live together. They work in tandem, you see. And when we don't detoxify, especially when the seasons change, our whole rhythm is off. Because we're being eaten alive. You know, I've been into this parasite thing since 1996. And I've been, you know, tooting this horn, telling people, this is your biggest issue. And if you've also got parasites now that have been scientifically proven to cause you to think, right? To think and like, think about this. How many times do we talk about fighting? When we talk about disease. People come to me, they say, but Dr. B, I got to fight this cancer. We got to fight cancer. I got to fight to survive. I got, it's all about struggle because we learned the language, the language of struggle as children. When we grew up, it was all about struggle. It was all about how hard it was going to be to do things. You can't fight cancer. You don't fight cancer. You have to find out where cancer's weakness, where is it coming from? You see, and you're trying to fight everything. You're trying to fight the people overseas. You're fighting your enemy. You're fighting your friends. You're fighting. You see, that fighting thing, where'd that come from? When you learn how to play and allow yourself to be aligned with things that give you power, you don't have to fight. Like the art of war is not about fighting. It's about not fighting. There is a time when you must fight, but there's also a time when you have to get and figure out where your true power is. 
and maximize the minimum. Find the wave. It's like martial arts. It's like water. They're using water and the movement of water. You know, Bruce Lee talks about this. Finding a space, finding a rhythm, because everything is tied to its opposite. You can't get, get rid of the opposite of anything, but you can find your angle. That's why I say it's about course correction. And here's another thing that we have to look at. A lot of people, when they get wealthy, they eat more of the stuff that they really shouldn't be eating. The, the poorest people in the world actually are not the sickest because they may be eating a very basic diet of maybe beans and rice. Beans and rice, you, you, can, you do pretty good with just beans and rice and a little bit of greens here. But, you know, we are choosing these foods that, which are full of toxins, full of hormones, full of parasites. The factory farm foods, I mean, they've gone past factory farm, farm foods, my brother. Now they got, you know, they got factory meats, plant, you know, we keep talking about plant-based. <laughs> plant, a lot of times plant-based foods are made in a plant. You think it was based on a plant. No, it was made in a plant. It, English is a funny language. It's an English. You got to read ingredients. You got to look at what is good for you. You have to do the research. You just can't go with whatever they're selling you through the commercials. Because the commercials, right, our whole language and everything is about fighting. It's about war. It's about commerce. You don't fight disease. This is not what we do in the herbal world. You don't fight it. You learn how to create homeostasis in the body, how to create balance. And you do that through detoxification. You do that through education. You learn what foods are good for you because we could say, well, we were all supposed to eat this way. No, there's no one way anybody's supposed to eat. It's based on you. It's individual. But the one thing that we have to realize is that we got to detoxify our bodies when the seasons change. Like right now is the time to be cleansing and detoxifying everything. You also got to detoxify your mind at this particular time. You got to get rid of the idea because look at, you know, they pump up war, war, fighting, war, war. You know, see that that concept right there sends a whole lot of cortisol and you, you've got all of these hormones that are pumping that are causing the fight or flight. You're stressed out. You're burned out. And we, we you know, we got to this point where we're almost desensitized by it. We don't even have the sense of disgust anymore. People have lost the natural sense of disgust. Certain languages, certain, I mean, not certain languages, certain ways of speaking, certain ways of acting, certain things that you're seeing is disgusting. But it begins, you begin to be not sensitized to these things anymore. So you can't even taste certain foods and know that it's toxic. You walk in a store and it smells terrible. Or you walk in a store and there's no smell, like a, like a restaurant. There's no smell in the restaurant. Well, what's going on here? They're playing with your, what, your perception. You have to be the one to take it upon yourself to readjust yourself and do the course correction. When you get to a certain point in life, you've got to wake up and be like the wise ones and not choose just what they're giving you. You've got to create your spell. You've got to break the spell that they've given you. Get out of fight or flight and start living the life we came to live. Because what they didn't tell you was 2024 was one of the most powerful years for people ever because of where we sit in the universe. There's a whole different type of light coming. There's so many gifts coming right now. This, this thing is opening wide up. That's why you see all this drama with all this stuff going on in the news. It's all coming to the surface now to show you what's real so you can become real within yourself and create your own new reality. We're actually becoming more free. But somebody's got to keep feeding you trash, telling you trash, lying to you, 
and make you think that everything's all over and it's the end of the world when actually it's the beginning of the new world. But if you have become factory farmed, it ain't about just eating factory farm food. The average person today is living on a farm. They're living like animals and sheep on a farm. When they go to the grocery store where grocery says that something's growing there and there's nothing growing and you keep agreeing that this is, you know, your subconscious says, well, this is where the good food is. No, the good food's going to be at the farmer's market or in your garden. Then you go to the pharmacy and you think you see a farm and you don't. See, it is the misperception. It's the sleight of hand. It's the magician tricking you to believe and go along with something that's actually got you marching your way into hell. You got to right. create. Now hold that hell. thought right there, Dr. Beebe. And we've got some folks who want to talk to you when we get back. We'll take our last look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. Family, you want to join this conversation with Dr. B? Reach out to us at 800 450 Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And the DMV are on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. <laughs> 